Alright you guys, so I did a Mendy session this morning. Okay. And I was really proud of myself. I got an 83, which is not my highest. I'm up in the 90s sometimes. And for those listening, you'll understand what we're talking about soon, but I just wanted to start with this. My neural activity was 41%. Is that high? Or does it depend on the person? It depends on the person. It's high. It's, it's probably higher than I have ever achieved. Are you, are, when, you're using, when you're using years. Mendy, are you competing with yourself and yeah. your past scores more so than the general population? 100%. Okay. It's about learning what it is that you did to make you be able to function at that level. Okay, cool. Because I think that's quite high for mine. And then control, 43 seconds. But this one was really impressive to me. The resilience is 11,639, which I think is much higher than mine usually are. Sometimes they're like 3,000. I think that's higher than I've got one. Yeah. Well, so, and I haven't been that consistent when I first got and for those watching the video I'm talking about this headband and we'll get we'll get in I'm just skipping I'm skipping to like the what should be 75% into the conversation um, but as I said I was just excited um, but I, I like taking notes on what I did or didn't do and I was telling Moha earlier that I've tried all sorts of different combinations of when I meditate, when I don't, how much sleep I got, take an ice bath, take nootropics, microdose, et cetera, to try to figure out what the sweet spot is. But I know what I did this morning. I took a microdose of DMT, 5-MeO-DMT actually. Then I meditated, had a great deep hour-long Joe Dispenza meditation. Then I went out, got a lot of sun, didn't drink anything else or have any kind of supplements. Then I took an ice bath, and then I came in and did this and got, for me, what's a really high score. So maybe ice baths and DMT are the key. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you guys, we'll, um, we'll talk about what all of that means later. Uh, why don't you two introduce yourselves? Obviously, you're going to have very different sounding voices, so people will get to know them. But if you want to start, Melissa, and just tell us who you are, what you're about practice, all the things you're up to, and then we'll get your, your introduction and then we'll dive in. Mm -hmm. I'm Dr. Melissa Whitman. I specialize in pediatric brain injuries, neurodevelopmental disorders, and really anything that has to do with brain optimization as well. Really, if I can take a child who drown and improve their brain, get them ideally walking and talking again. If an athlete comes to me or someone comes to me to optimize their life, so that's, that's pretty cool. I was watching some of your, uh, your videos and I listened to your podcast and mm -hmm. I think we share a passion for wild technology. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, she's, you know, you walk in and you're like, oh, you got the biocharger? I'm like, bio she knows, what, yeah, she yeah, knows yeah. what's up. Uh -huh. Yeah, cool. I'm excited. I'm so glad you were both able to make it too. It's always fun Thank to you. get a couple of perspectives. Uh, Moha, so we met through our mutual friend, Josh Tran, and, uh, so funny what the cat is doing right now. He never plays or pays attention to anything, and now he's really going catnip on the sage. That's very strange. Uh, we met through Josh Trent, and when Josh and I find a person 
or our brand or just anything interesting, we're, we're kind of the go-to guys for each other. And he's like, man, come out to dinner. you got to meet my friend Moa. And I'm like, man, I live a half an hour away from dinners in, in downtown Austin. That's a commitment. That's like an hour drive time, you know. Usually, end of the day, I'm kind of tired. It's like, no, man, you got to meet this guy. Well, I flew in for that dinner. You flew in, and I'm complaining <laughs> about driving 25 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, and we really just hit it off. You know? and Josh, is, Josh is a good barometer of quality people. I love Josh. He's such a good human. He's a good dude. And Brian, great guy. Yeah. Friend yeah. of yours. And so, we, uh, yeah, we had a really good time. And it, it was interesting because it's like, I don't know, for some reason, the dynamic of that dinner is we were each kind of sharing our areas of expertise or our gifts. And we were talking to you and kind of picking your brain about entrepreneurship and investing and business, which you're great at. And then we're kind of telling you about spiritual concepts and we're all just really fueling each other. It was such a great, great night. It was so easy. In Costa Rica, we say, Dios los hace y ellos se encuentran, which means God makes them and then they find each other. And it was one of those moments where we just sat down. It was just a great night. It was I, I bumped into Brian and his girlfriend a week ago. We were hanging out and it's just, it was literally like it was the day after. Hadn't seen him since. Well, that's one thing I find really interesting about you is um, you have this very mobile, jet-setting kind of lifestyle. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm fascinated by it because I think earlier in life when I was younger, I was more resilient to travel. But now, man, to like fly somewhere, I gotta really want to go there. And you're just like, cool, dinner in Austin, I'll fly it from Costa Rica or fly in from Sweden or whatever. It's really interesting how you've set up your life. Well, for me, I, th I think it would be exhausting if there wasn't a purpose to it. But everything that I do, I know that it's meaningful. Uh, and uh, so for me, it's not, a, it's not a sacrifice at all. It's like, done, like, let's do it. Everything is easy. It's like, I don't, I don't see the distance. I don't see that I'm gonna be on a flight for hours. It's no different than just, you're, you know, you're at the house next to me, you know? So it's, uh, it's that approach to life. And because I'm so excited about what I get to do and I'm so grateful for this life that I have that, you know, I almost partly, many times can't believe that I have it. It just makes all these things be just easy. Well, I think if you could, I don't know you that well, we're getting to know one another, but I think if you could boil down your, at least part of your life philosophy, it's that it's just easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were talking about money and stuff that night. You've done really well for yourself. And Josh and I were like, man, how do you do it? And you're like, it's just easy. You just do it. We're like, yeah, but, but how, <laughs> you know? Like everything's easy. You just if you decide everything's easy, it is. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. It sounds, you know, kind of trite, but it's like we create our own struggle. Yeah. And this is true of health mm -hmm. issues too, mm -hmm. right? It's like the more we invest in them and give power to them, mm -hmm. the more we feel victimized. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, if if you want to look at a great example of this, I'll I'll tell you the story of how me and Melissa met. Mm -hmm. What, a week oh, ago? Yeah, 10 please. days ago. Two week, yeah, two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, less than two weeks ago, literally. <laughs> yeah. We're at the biohacking conference uh, mm -hmm. and in Orlando, and she DMs me. And I end up meeting her for, for a minute. And then she's like, come see what we're doing, using Mendy and using other technologies to help these kids with TBI, with traumatic brain injuries. And I, I go there, and it's just incredible what they do. And my approach was like, you're a fucking superhero. Why doesn't everybody know about you? So when you, when you called me up and you're like, do you want to be in my podcast? I was like, well, let's get Melissa out there because the world needs to see what she's doing. Like, I'm, I admire what she does. It's like, 
let's kind of use me as kind of like a Trojan horse to get that message out and get that voice out. And it's, uh, so for me, it's like, it's, it's that easy. It's like, you just don't ask. In Costa Rica, we say, no pida, no pida eh, permiso, pida perdón, which means never ask for permission. <laughs> Always apologize. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I didn't know you all had it in Costa Rica, yeah, too. Because we just realized that we, we yeah. screwed up your setup with the microphones because yeah. it's two guests instead of uh -huh. one. That's beautiful. We'll apologize afterwards, and this is going to be magical. Mm -hmm. It's just, mm -hmm. it's easy. I, I followed that principle in, uh, in building this house. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> A lot of unorthodox things happened here while it was in construction. <laughs> uh, tell us about... Uh, so your your parents are from Libya yeah. and immigrated to Costa Rica, mm -hmm. which I find is interesting. I mean, I've only spent uh, a few trips in, in Costa Rica, but I don't think I've met many people from Libya there. Were you kind of an outsider in a foreign land there? I yeah, mean, were you? 100%. I mean, so my Was your sense that we're immigrants and we're different than the natives here? Well, I feel more Costa Rican than anything else, even though I'm full Libyan. So my parents fled in the late 70s and uh, when Gaddafi was started nationalizing all the private industries and just taking away, like, you know, people's. And the whole thing happened was because my dad had a buddy in Italy, in Rome, who was uh, a Costa Rican diplomat. And he was literally like, hey, if you've got $10,000, you can get a residency. And that's how Costa Rica happened. So I ended up being Costa Rican just because my dad had a buddy of his that was like, hey, man, you got $10,000. Let's go to Costa Rica. It's this little country nobody knows about. It's basically a jungle. There's like no development. And that's how we ended up there. And since 1980, that's where our base was. And so I grew up speaking Spanish as my mother tongue. Uh, as, you know, my sister was already three years old when we got there. Uh, but my parents had to learn the language there. And um, yeah, that obviously, that did make me feel as an, like an outsider until I wasn't. And it's a very clear moment when I wasn't. Like, to me, it's very easy to spot that moment when I wasn't an outsider anymore. When was that? I've said this story a million times. It's, it's actually after not making the, I, I was at this school called, called ICS and I had not made the junior varsity team because I was too young, two years younger than all the other boys in school. What that did is it made me, uh, and now I'm like, I'm known as like a strong guy and a fit guy and all that. But back then, it's like I was a child and you're like 10 and the kids are 12 or you're 11 and your classmates are 13. Like it's, it's you're a boy and they're men. So that forced me to become really good friends with the girls. And I was like one of the girly guys because I was, you know, wimpy because I, I hadn't developed. Right. And that, what that did is I remember listening to a song, which is a new level by Pantera. And I grew up listening to metal. And that song just kind of became this mantra that I would repeat over and over and over. And to this day, it's still like kind of something that automatically happened. And it's just like, I kind of found my identity. I was never fully Costa Rican. I was never fully Libyan. I'm never gonna really fit in anywhere, but it doesn't matter because I'm, you know. And that's when I started to get, you could argue, obsessed with the food chain and how it works and my place in the food chain and establishing what animal I was, and it was very clear that I wasn't the biggest or the strongest, but I was scary and I could survive by, even if I didn't fit in, you know, and that's when I came obsessed with, you know, or I understood that I was a jaguar and that even if the jaguar is in the snow in Sweden, the jaguar is still going to eat. It doesn't really belong there, but it's going to do fine because it's a jaguar and that's kind of my approach to life and that's my, that's what leads to everything being easy. It's like, well, I'm a jaguar, it's going to be fine, you know. Not in the right place, but it doesn't matter because I'm here and 
my perspective has had a lot to do with the hardships from, from being little. And a lot of my fuck-ups, you know, my overdose. We've talked about drugs and all sorts of yeah. stuff. And, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just very grateful to be here, man. It's great to see you again. Likewise. I haven't seen you in a long time. Likewise. Yeah. Uh, I got I to back up on that. How old were you when you overdosed, and what was uh, your weapon of choice? 16. And it was uh, a lot of alcohol. It was tequila um, and uh, with a combination of cocaine, LSD, which is very common. And, uh, yeah, probably more stuff. <laughs> Bro, yeah. That sounds like a brutal combination. If I, if I thought of a drug and alcohol combo that would make you feel good, that would not be it. And so... But I was in a coma for five days after that. Wow. We, we were talking about that yesterday. I actually asked her yesterday because she was talking about comas and stuff. And I was like, well, I wonder if I have any brain damage, <laughs> lasting brain damage from my coma. Yeah. And she was, what was your assessment of that? Quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you haven't brought him in and, and given him a scan and uh, assessment? I, I, yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Seems to be pretty high functioning. But sometimes, I would agree. But sometimes when we have a deficit, Seems to be, sometimes when we have a deficit like that, though, I think some of us become successful because we have to overcompensate mm-hmm. to function. To oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like, yeah. oh, one of the keys to my success has been being terrible at most things. Like, I, I was never a reader. I'm not, like, I, I'm not a big reader now. It's like I was shit in school. I was just, like, my ADHD is, like, I couldn't focus on anything. Like, all these things kind of became the thing that drove me to become, you know, more successful than I was meant to be, I guess you could say. That is surrounding myself with great people, which is, you know, has been a blessing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, uh, Josh Trent's show being one of them, in preparation for this, and I appreciate people... Uh, when they have some degree of humility. I think humility is a really beautiful virtue and principle and something I strive uh, to have myself as much as I can. I'm actually the most humble guy in the room right now. (laughs) It's my favorite corny dad joke. (laughs) There's a story about this famous speaker and he gets up on stage and he goes, well, he looks at the crowd and said, I was going to give my talk on humility tonight, but there's not enough people in the room. (laughs) Um, But something I've, I've heard in your sort of self-deprecating persona is, you know, I'm a dummy. I just surround myself with a bunch of smart people. And I I would, and you didn't say that here today, but I know it's something you say on a somewhat regular basis. And and I would push back on that and argue because each human being is intelligent in their own unique way, right? So your ADHD and your problems with drugs and being small and feeling insecure and whatever you went through the adaptation that was created based on your innate nature is what I think likely led you to the intelligence that you embody now and that you use to your advantage and, and for your ability to be of service in the world, right? So it's like there's all kinds of different ways to be smart. There's a lot of ways in which I feel very dumb. Try to get me like to do some math with a pencil and a piece of paper. We're not going to get very far. But I might be able to walk into a room and feel a room out and use my empathy to help people to feel more comfortable 
and have a conversation like this, right? And someone's intelligence might be sitting down at a piano and they've never played one before and they can play it. Yeah. There's musical intelligence, kinesiological intelligence, all these things. So I think you're a smart fucking guy. I'm not going to let you say that on my show in case you well, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I love that I'm getting like the moniker that I'm, I'm humble. Like I, I, I'm just <laughs> honest. Honest, I'll give you. I don't, I don't know if humble or... Uh, yeah, but or, or smart, but I'll take it from you. I I, I appreciate that. And I, yeah, being small is what led me to being bigger and being very in shape and all that. So I, I can see these limitations. They drive us, and they're positives, right? And anything that is anything that is seen as a disadvantage can be our superpower. And I truly believe in that. So I, you know, I'm not trying to be what I'm not. I'm just honest, and I'm, you know, and and that opens up. You know, just the amount of goodwill equity that I will get just from admitting that I don't know things is incredible. That's what's opened up all our collaborations with the scientific community. And that's what brings, you know, very, you know, people that know way, way more than I do about what I do. Like Melissa, for example, who understands the technology that we, that I, you know, or my company better than I do. Like there's a beauty in just not trying to compete with people mm-hmm. and just saying like, oh, come and help me. And that's just like, and now we're here. Building a team. And yeah. that's like, we were yeah. talking about that at dinner with another person on the Menti team last night. And you have such a beautiful vision for that. And that's really what sets this company apart. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an intelligence in and of itself, right? Is being able to spot mm-hmm. talent and create mm-hmm. an Avengers super team. Mm-hmm. That talent for connectivity Right, like seeing, oh, if I introduce this person to that person, they each have complementary skills and talents and relationships, and then magic will ensue. It's one of the things I really enjoy and get to practice a lot in this podcast is just seeing, ooh, I see a connection between that person and that person, and then just introduce them and watch the fire start and see what happens. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. So, uh, yeah. Um, So I listened to your podcast the other day. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is it called the autistic woman? Is the autistic that, female. The autistic mm-hmm. female. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I kind of scrolled around, and I, I wanted to get something that gave me some information about who you are and what you do. So I went mm-hmm. to the first episode in which you and your partner um, talked about you discovering later in life that you're autistic to some degree. Yep. I thought that was really interesting. So. <laughs> Yeah, we could do a whole podcast about that, I'm sure. Yeah, but, we definitely um, could. What led you into the work that you do, uh, your interests first, and then what was it that uh, led you to kind of dig further in your own experience and to see what's making you tick? Mm-hmm. So I found the field of functional neurology, so that's my specialty, is functional neurology and developmental functional neurology. About three months into grad school, it was a Friday night, and so that tells you anything about my personality, I was at the Friday night lecture, and it was uh, Professor Ted Carrick presenting, and he was talking about using functional neurology for various things for brain injuries, as well as bringing patients out of comas, and I mean, it just blew my mind. And when I went to grad school, I knew that I was not going to be taking a traditional route, but it was also very clear to me that that's where I was supposed to be. So it was very confusing in the first couple months of I'm here, but I'm, I know that I'm not going to do kind of the traditional route with this. What does this look like? And I just was patient with it. You know, I kept feeling that like, it'll come, it'll come. And that night I literally went home and I'm like, this is it for me. Like sign sealed delivered. This is the direction I'm going. And I spent once a month driving to Orlando for 
two, two and a half years in addition to being in grad school to finish that diploma program. And I was there with practicing doctors going through all of it. And it's just phenomenal. And so much of neuroscience and um, neuropsychology, all of these fields are really fascinating, but they stop at the point of figuring out what it is. And to me, that, you know, that's just not good enough. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, what about neuroplasticity? You're all talking about neuroplasticity. Do something with it, right? So when we are looking at the brain, like what I focus on is I do a neurological exam. I look at where are the deficits? What are the deficits? And how can I make a change? Can I make a change? Almost always yes. And how do I make that change? And then it's off to the races. And it doesn't matter if it's a child who just drowned, a severe autism case, a UT baseball player that, you know, we see a few of the UT baseball players. It, it really doesn't matter who's in front of me because I know how the brain develops, how the brain works, and it's awesome. And it doesn't get old. I've been doing it over 10 years, and it's exciting every single day. Very emotional as well, the cases that I see, but it's really exciting. Yeah. And what's the difference for, for those like myself that aren't mm -hmm. familiar with the classifications, what's the difference between a functional neurologist and a standard neurologist? Is it akin to, uh, you know, an allopathic Western MD versus mm -hmm. a functional medicine doctor? Were you looking at more root sort causes of. than just symptom treatment and management? Yeah, sort of like that. I usually describe it as a neurologist will look at an MRI to see which bridges are blown up, and I'll look at it and say, what alternative routes are left. So that's kind of a comparison. Got it, okay. Yeah. And then what led your curiosity to find <laughs> out if you were autistic? Nothing, I was not curious about it. I was not looking at it. My husband brought me a TikTok video of a woman who was autistic and you know, put together, she was in grad school, you know, all these things. And he's like, honey, I think you're autistic. And I. I just remember exactly where I was sitting. I think my youngest was two at the time. I was probably nursing him something. I looked at him and I was like, I am in this field. Like I would, I would know. I no, I just I have social anxiety, I'm introverted, you know, all of these reasons, right? And so I decided to look into it to prove him wrong. I just wanted, I was like, fine, I'll do this, I'll figure out what screening tests to take, just so you can you know, we can kind of put this to rest. Because again, I'm like, I'm in this field. I was trained in this. Well, come to find out, I scored off the charts in every single screening test. And that was like a whole mindfuck of, wait, wait a second, reframing my life. It made my life make a lot more sense because instead of me just always thinking I sucked at everything and it was just so hard for me, I'm like, oh, my brain works differently. Just like I would tell a patient if they were in front of me. But the research on autism up until really the last five years was all done on males. So the DSM criteria, what I was trained to look for, making eye contact, all of these different things shows up completely different in a female. And it's missed. I mean, current research is that 80% of females are still undiagnosed. Autistic females are undiagnosed at age 18. That's crazy. Wow. That is crazy. And so... I had a patient in this week and she's a 16 year old and it just the change it made in her life and her family's life to just have this. And I'm not diagnosing her, but I'm saying, Hey, take this screening test. And I'm also seeing all of the things on exam, right? So right brain deficit and all the things that go along with that. 
And just her demeanor and simply me being able to have that conversation with her and relate to her reminded me why I'm doing this podcast, even though it's completely out of my comfort zone to, you know, have an autistic female podcast. It was such a reminder for that. And so as I've been looking into all of this, it has also changed educating the doctors around me. And, you know, in my field going forward, I'm speaking at a conference in, I don't remember, September, October uh, for an hour, just on autistic females to my colleagues. I mean, that's like crazy, but really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah. When you took the assessment Mm -hmm. and started to backtrack through your subjective experience, Mm -hmm. what were some of the things about yourself that matched? Mm, Like when you're looking at the questions? Yeah, I, like in, in the podcast I listened to, you were talking yeah. about how when you were in school, I don't know if it's high school or, or whatever, oh, yeah, you would no, go would. you go eat your lunch in the library. I eat lunch in the library, so like, yes. When I heard that, I was like, maybe I'm autistic. Because <laughs> if I would have thought of that, I would have definitely done that too. You know? I did. I ate lunch in the library every day. I could not handle the cafeteria. At the beginning of each school year, I'd try. I'd be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it was miserable. I would I would just be completely sensory overload for the rest of the day. And I like I really liked school. I enjoyed it, um, the school part of it. But the social aspect. I was at a very big high school, like 500 people in my class, probably about 2,000 kids in the school. And it was so overwhelming to me. Everyone would meet in like the middle foyer area, and I always took the back stairwells. I never went through that middle area, and. I've gotten, actually just last week, I got a message from a friend that I had in high school who's been listening to the podcast. And it's really interesting because I haven't spoke to her. I mean, I graduated from high school in 2006. It's, it's been a while. And she's like, I've really been loving the podcast. You know, this is really cool. I'm, I'm happy for you that you're doing this. This is someone who's very social. Like, not, she's not listening to it, I don't think, because she thinks she's autistic. But I decided to dig into that a little bit. And I was like, hey, I really enjoyed our friendship, but I always struggled with just like understanding how the dynamic should work and all of these different things. And she said, I never saw you as any different than any other friend. And I've not been able to have a conversation with someone from my childhood or past to have that reflected back. And that was so interesting because the story in my head and in my body and how I felt felt like it would have been so obvious. And it just goes to show again, like a big thing with autistic females is masking and camouflaging of being able to observe the social situation and and fit in basically, and then go home and be exhausted and you know not really be able to function beyond that. And so that was really, really interesting to have reflected back to me. Despite everything I do to stay well, And that's a lot. It's impossible to control all the toxic exposures from our modern environment. And without strong immune barriers, we are all super vulnerable to these outside threats. So what can we do about it? Well, we can make sure we're getting what nature intended on the daily. Colostrum is possibly the most potent superfood ever. It's actually the first nutrition we receive in life, and it has all the essential nutrients our bodies need to thrive. But not all colostrum is created equal, my friends. Armra colostrum is the cornerstone of my daily routine, and here's exactly why. Number one, it's pure and responsibly sourced. Armra colostrum comes from grass-fed cows raised on family-owned U.S. dairy farms, and they only collect overflow colostrum after the calves get their fill. Cold chain technology concentrates colostrum's 200-plus functional nutrients 
in their most natural and bioavailable form. And number three, it's perfectly optimized for human health because Armor removes unnecessary compounds like casein and fat, enhancing concentrations of essential bioactives. So you definitely want to listen up now. We've worked out a special offer for you lifestylist listeners. Just go to tryarmra.com slash Luke or enter Luke to get 15% off your first order. Armra has also been clinically shown to ignite metabolism, activate hair growth and skin radiance, and power performance and recovery. So it's no wonder they call this stuff liquid gold. So grab some today. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash Luke. Tryarmra.com slash Luke. Yeah. Self-knowledge is so powerful. Yeah. You know, like when I was talking about with Mohas, mm-hmm. identifying our strengths and capitalizing on them. Yeah. It's like with no totally. self-inquiry and self-knowledge, we really are rudderless. We're lost. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also really hard on your self-esteem. You know, only finished, I think, seven grades in school and did poorly and had all kinds of behavioral problems. Always felt super dumb my whole life. Just felt like everyone was smarter than me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't read a lot with Cheryl. I try. <laughs> when audiobooks came out, I was like, oh, reading is definitely <laughs> over now. That's it. <laughs> um, but, you know, over over time and doing doing the work that I do, it's been invaluable, man, to just go, okay, well, I have different skills than some other people, but I do have some. You know, let's sure. find out what they are and let's just hone in on that and focus on that and cut out the noise and stop trying to be good at the things that I'm just not that good at. Have you seen that comic where it's like a horse, a fish, a turtle, and something else, and they're like, okay, it's time for your test. Climb the tree. Oh, wow. And that's how a lot of public school is. Yeah. You take all of these amazing talents and creatures, and you're like, go climb the tree, and that's what you're going to get judged on. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think I have, like, micro PTSD just from being in school those seven years. It's like, it was torture. I hated school. And I had a lot of trauma and other Mm -hmm. issues, I'm sure, that didn't help. But, yeah, whatever the school system was set up to teach and how it was set up to teach that way did not fit my personality and my brain at all, ever. Ever. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moha, so... You're a kid in Costa Rica, and then at some point, I think in adulthood, you ventured to Libya during the Arab Spring, or went there and then... Right before. Right before, and right, then this Right, right before when it happened while I was there, yeah. I went to do a commercial transaction, and I ended up staying there, and that, that kind of like shifted my life. I've had like a few shifts, and by the way, I didn't have much money or anything. It's not like I was like some, you know billionaire that's going there to become philanthropic and like it was just literally it was like I was there and there I was so overwhelmed with this feeling of people wanting freedom and people wanting equality and wanting a chance that in hindsight it was a shit show of course but um but like the intention was there there was something so powerful and so impactful that was about to to happen that I had to be a part of it um so it was you know I was never forced to stay there so I ended up having that whole adventure and being in the war in Libya based on my own decision. Like it was because I have a very strong sense of right and wrong. And I was like, well, this is worth doing. This is the right thing to do. This is more important than anything I would do going back to Costa Rica and watching it on TV. And um, yeah, I was there and, uh, you know, and it seemed like 
it felt like one of those change the world moments. And I ended up staying there and I ended up setting up some schools and I started doing as much good as I could and stuff. And I've always had this thing where I wanted to do good. And uh, I will tell you, it's a lot easier to focus on it fully when you don't have to worry about money and paying bills. So that's my, like one of the pieces of advice that I give a lot of people is like, you know what, like if you can have more money, then you can do a lot more good. And that's kind of one of the first conversations that I had with, uh, with Melissa. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was taking a run. I was running like in Beverly Hills or something. <laughs> I was in, in L.A. And we just did a call and I was like, why are you hiding? Like, you're a fucking superhuman. Like, what you're doing is unbelievable. You know, we've got all these, you know, all these influencers showing their asses and their tits. They've got millions of followers. Everybody worships them like they're doing this incredible life you're actually fucking rehabilitating children's lives like you're you're literally doing like miracle like the closest thing to to what prophets would do like <laughs> you're using lasers and using things yeah. like mendy and other technology to rehabilitate yeah. human beings like why are you not on the cover of everything and then she's like well and she can say it better, but she's like you know I grew up poor and I've always thought believed in working in silence and I was like fuck that you should have a billion and said, dollars but, and you should have a I billion know. people yes. seeing what you're doing. Yes. Because that's how we change the world. You, yes. You can impact 10 people or you can impact 100 million. Yes. And, and that's... Totally. It was one of those conversations where, you know, you get those messages in meditation or something just over and over. And like, for sure, money, had that's been my like main block pretty much my whole life. I've worked through a lot of stuff, but money. And so I've worked through a lot of that. And then the last couple of months, it's been like, okay, put yourself out there, right? So I start the podcast and I'm like, okay, universe, I'll put myself out there. That's it, right? <laughs> no, that's not it, right? So then we're having this conversation and he said, what do you want? And I, I'm like, I don't know. It's not like, oh, I, I have X amount of dollars or I have, I have this that I want. And I said, I just know I'm not supposed to hide anymore. I'm not supposed to just be in a room with one patient at a time and having that be my impact. That is a massive impact. I'm very humbled and grateful to have that. But how much more can I do really you know, beyond that? It's, it's pretty cool and pretty exciting. And I also know the times that I have made money, I, I mean, I turn around and I just give it back to whoever I can. I mean, that's just the way I am. And I love to do that. And so... That's where he was like, yeah, you can do a lot more of that if you are like, you know, out there and opening yourself up and, and helping people. For me, it was people. like, let's put a magnifying glass yeah. on those values that you have yeah. and all the, this magic. Because I admire you. I look up to you. But the problem is people are never going to hear about you. There's people out there with kids that need this. There's people that need your help that are never going to hear. So it's like, mm-hmm. so for me, my approach is if you're helping a hundred people like you are and you're changing their lives. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. But if you're helping a hundred people when you could have helped a million people, fuck you. It's not even, oh, good. No, it's fuck you. Because what about all those other 990? Like, I understand. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, we, unless we're creating an impact that is big enough as the resources that we can pull next to us. I mean, this, this happened with a DM on Instagram. Right. Well, just saying, hey, I saw that you're at the conference. We use your we're product. On, we're love on the to same, say hi. That was literally same, it. And it was like, literally like we're yeah. on the same battle. Like it took yeah. a second for us to see that we're on the same team. We just didn't know that we exist. Within like two minutes, you were like, you need to be on the podcast with me. And I'm yeah. like, okay. 
that was literally like in the first two minutes of you're like, hey, tell me about what you do. And, you know, a big part of where Mendy comes in. So with autism, I mean, using the Mendy is such an amazing at-home tool. And I, you know, I talk to patients about it. I talk to whoever I'm seeing and I'm like, you don't understand where this is now and how incredible it is and where it's about to go. Because I know the input I have for where it's about to go. And it's also an insanely incredible and talented team that already has so many things lined up. And it matches so beautifully with what I know my purpose is. I know that I have developed this skill set and been surrounded by incredible doctors, including the ones I work with in my office. It's not just me. We have an unbelievably talented team. And I have this skill set because my purpose is to help these humans have a more balanced brain and a healthier brain because the outcome of that in consciousness and in reality is going to be a world of humans with a more balanced brain, a healthier brain, making better decisions for a better world, right? If people aren't getting pissed off all the time, their left prefrontals out of control, it's going to be a lot better, calm conversations, conscious conversations. That's pretty badass that I have a skill set to facilitate that. Less fighting, less shootings, less exactly. stabbings, less exactly. road rage, less, well, the, the less study children with Mendy, getting right? the shit beaten out of them by their parents. Yeah. We've, we've been through that. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's, I think of things in study. a very similar way as like the, the, everything starts at consciousness. Yeah. Right? Like it's been mm-hmm. said, um, it was Andrew Breitbart that said, politics is downstream of culture. I thought, oh, that's, that's true, right? Well, yeah. what's upstream of that? And if you keep going upstream through all the different facets of the human experience, mm-hmm. the very top of that is consciousness, yeah. right? And how do, we, mm-hmm. how do we experience and express consciousness? Through the brain. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in other ways, through the body, but primarily through the brain. It's a big right? part of it. And my spiritual studies, I think, are what allowed me to excel the way I did despite having autism and ADHD, because I had such deep spiritual practices and those often are very whole brain or right brain. So it would get me through these times where I might've just not been able to make it through otherwise, which yeah, is pretty absolutely. cool. Well, that, that's yeah. funny that Moha, you know, took the girl who was eating in the library and was like, Hey, you should be on <laughs> podcast and be on stage and put yourself out there. So <laughs> congratulations. I know for, Thank you. for people that are more introverted, it's difficult. It's you know, a lot. It's yeah. much more of a push. And you think about, you know, kind of to your point, Moha, you have, you know, God bless everyone and their, and their gifts and their message, but you have people that are just blessed with the gift of being, um, having charisma and being extroverted, but maybe don't have that much expertise about, about the <laughs> topics they're sharing, right? You know, this is so prevalent on social media where, wow, this person's really engaging, intriguing, mm-hmm. but maybe don't have, you know, as you do, like in your clinical practice, right? Just, mm-hmm. I'm sure, dozens and hundreds of cases and yeah. refining your skill set so that it can really help people. So it makes perfect sense that it's, it's time to scale that despite mm-hmm. the discomfort of putting yourself out there. It's, it's so funny. We were talking about it yesterday because we were having dinner with Hannah. Yep. Uh, at this place called Ember. It's great, by the way, if you haven't been. Ember, right? Ember Kitchen, yeah. Ember Kitchen is really yeah. good. Noted. And uh, so I'm, uh, so we're there, and, uh, and you know, Hannah's a neuroscientist, and we're sitting there, and we're talking, and I'm giving them, like, kind of, like, the blueprint of where I see Mendy going. And, and you know that my dream is that over the next few years, people don't have to pay for it. Everybody gets it for free. It's very affordable as it is. But my whole thing is that it should be inclusive to everybody. So what I was telling them is that, 
I am the Trojan horse to get them all in there. I'm like, if we can put together 50, 100 of the best, you know, scientists, doctors, just absolute, we're very, very, very science-based. We can put them all there. And the doors that I can open because people want to talk about bullshit, like whatever, the six pack or the jet setting or whatever, that's great because then I can bring a Hannah and she can talk about, you know, the science and it's a beautiful way. And it's just, that's how we can inform the world. And um, yeah, so there's a plan around that, but I, I love how you're, how you're expressing my limitations in a way that, that is flattering to me, but it's, uh, to be honest, I just think that it's, I'm very lucky. And many times I don't even find these amazing people. She found me. I didn't find her. I can't even take credit for that. And I don't send messages on Instagram. Yeah, like, you, that is you not found, a thing. You found me. But I just Josh knew. brought me. Yeah. So yeah. Josh, like you understand, it's like yeah. I literally <laughs> can take credit for nothing. It's, it's, yeah. I'm literally But just, he's in, he's in flow state. I was like, that's why. Yeah. You yeah. just. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's actually a really good, right? good way to it's put when he says it's just easy. It's easy. Yeah. You just do Because he's thing. in flow state. It's magnetizing. Yeah. Like I never send TMs to people, but I was like, do it. This is an opportunity. I'm like, what opportunity? You know, I'm having that conversation. With I do, I do. Like, I, I need Ben Rain through a DM. I yeah, you said that. I, you I said do that. that. I scaled fish brain on DMs. For like. sure. For sure. Yeah, I love the correlation though between it's easy and flow state. Because totally. when you're in flow state, regardless of like what skill is flowing, yeah, it is easy. When it's yeah. hard is when we're not in flow state. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of something like Mendy, when our brain is not functional. Good luck finding your flow state. Oh, for sure. <laughs> in whatever area of talent yeah. you exceed. Yeah, that frontal, prefrontal, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I want to back up a bit, though. You you guys okay on time? Can I do my thing? Okay, yeah. good. Yesterday, I had an interview with a brilliant man, and he only had an hour. And I was I was over here sweating bullets with my iPad, like, no, I have so many more questions. Uh, it's just, you know, it's why the show sometimes is longer. I just, I don't want anyone to leave and feel like, oh, man, we should have talked about it. We could have talked about it. Uh, but I want to go back to to Libya. I'm so curious about just being somewhere in a time of war. Is it what I imagine that you're hearing, you know, gunfire down the street and a bomb a couple miles away shaking the building? Like, what what was it like in terms of its emotional impact? Closer than that. So, um, yeah, so it's basically just think about that you're at your most stressed constantly, and that becomes the default for you. So when you go to sleep, so the the first thing that Mendy helped me with a lot, and the reason why I took the job, because I was retired before Mendy, so I became an investor, and then they asked me to take the job, and I I took it, was because I had really bad nightmares from that time in Libya. It's because you, you are in a state, and even though I, like you said, I'm highly functional, And I've always been highly functional, but I've always had a lot of emotional regulation problems and a lot of anxiety, which were not made any better, obviously. And it's basically like your body is in a constant state of stress. It's like you've got constant whiplash. I don't know how to explain it. You you guys would be better at explaining it. I've had a similar feeling, and and not to diminish wartime Mm -hmm. experience, but in dysfunctional relationships in my past, experienced that. Just nonstop fire. It's probably physically it's very similar. System. It's just yeah. vagal system. There you system. go. Yeah. Where you're just yeah. locked. Like there's yeah. no, there's no like, you know, I'm going to go relax for a few minutes. No, you're not. That doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. No. Yeah. So the- get stuck in that. So ventral vagal is like green light. You want to engage socially. You feel good. You're calm. And the next 
one over is spinal sympathetic, and that's fight or flight. And then that's when your amygdala is going crazy. We call it the asshole amygdala in the office because you might be five years out and you hear something and it's going to set you off right. as though you're there because that amygdala is like, holy shit, this isn't safe, right? right? And how do you calm the amygdala? There's two ways that you can calm it. Vestibular system, right? So you run. I need to go for a run. Humans will get that, right? I need to run. The kiddos that can't run, we spin them. We do some sort of vestibular thing. The other way for a brain that's healthy enough is prefrontal activation. And that is where Mendy is gold. Absolute gold. So that explains why he's having insomnia and and PTSD. My nightmares went away. Like, my nightmares just went away. And I was like, fuck, this is... Yes. Why doesn't... And my reaction was, why doesn't everybody know about this? Why did I find out about this shit when I'm 40 years old and I'm a multimillionaire and I'm in Sweden? What chance does a 15-year-old girl in Bangladesh have. She's fucked. Like, there's like there's there's a girl with my same issues in Bangladesh. It's my obligation to make sure that people don't go 40 years of bad relationships and bad fights and street fights and all sorts of shit. Throwing people's head in the urinal. <laughs> Throw people's head in the urinal. Uh, little inside story he told and, me. And, 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 you know, oh, and, and even to this day, like, I, I will do a Mendy, like, if I'm stressed, it'll just take away the jitters. Like, it'll just take away that anxiety. It'll just put me in a, like, in a state where I'm just, like, it, there's an immediate effect along with the long-lasting effects and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But for me, it was just like, like, no, like you said, like, no, no different than going and training, going for a run, lifting yeah. some weights, whatever. Like, the Mendy will really just, um, it will just almost like align everything. Just make everything be balanced. It's like, for me, it's like my day is a very messy room. It's like, just like a, with a bunch of like hoarding and shit. And it's just, I'll do that. It's like, it's just clean. And then I can function a lot better. And I'm just a nicer person to be with. Like, I'm not an asshole. If you, you know, if you say something to me, like, you understand, like, I'm not as irritable. I'm not as, and um, it's always a work in progress, right? But it's, um, Libya, that's what it was. It was imagine that you're, I think for the average person that doesn't, that can't relate maybe to to levels of abuse that we've been through or to war or something like that. Uh, perhaps like just being at your scariest moment watching a, like a horror movie and then you're stuck in that moment and then you expand that for months and months and months. And that's your life. That moment of being that tense it's like, you know, you're going to sleep. Your, your heart is racing because you hear a sound and you're expecting the worst, right? So that's, um, I probably didn't explain that very well, but I think you, you get I can, I get the picture, yeah. yeah. It, in terms of frequency and duration, so you're having these nightmares after spending this time in, every day. in wartime Libya every day. Uh, when you discovered the Mendy, how often were you using it and what period of time before you started to see like, wow, I slept last night and had no nightmares. I remembered my dreams the first night and they were pleasant. Like it was just like, I was like, oh fuck. And I, and I, yeah, it was like, that <laughs> wow. wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, me getting stabbed and waking up, you know? Yeah. And then um, I remember about, it, it just kept getting better to the point where I remember saying like, oh, like I barely, like, I have nightmares like once a month. I can't even remember, like, I don't know if I've had nightmares once or twice this year. Like, so it's, it's so, which is probably normal for like the average person that hasn't been through war and hasn't had the childhood I had and all that. Like, so it's, um, 
Yeah, it's it's incredible what it will do. And and my my thing, my issue with uh, with talking about it is that it just sounds like it's too good to be true, and that's what people need to understand. That's why I, I need you know the Hannahs and the Melissas of the world, and you know to explain the science so that people can land it and understand that oh, it actually does make sense because that's how the brain works, right? And you know, as somebody that's never been very interested in biohacking like you're I'm not nearly a gadget nerd like anything comparable to you you know or or I've never been interested in in studying really except for things that I really cared about like I'm a nerd on sports like you know but now to me it's fascinating that I can have access to these experts and I can have conversations with them I don't have to read the books I can actually tap into somebody but that's my method too (laughs) yes That's I'll the open up a, Bring the living book. Exactly. <laughs> I'll look up something on PubMed and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to interview someone about exactly. this that knows how to read this and yes. find the author and bring him over. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my hack. I want to let everyone know you can find everything we're talking about today at lukestory.com slash Mendy, M-E-N-D-I, lukestory.com slash Mendy for your show notes because we're going to get into some of the science and things like that. So... And everybody can download the app for free, Mendy, uh, you know, on the app store, Mendy. You know, they don't even need a device with it, right, to get a lot of value. And that's what we're doing over the next six months, like Melissa said, is, is really exciting, the stuff that we're inputting. And mm-hmm. But obviously, to do the training, you would need a device. But just go ahead and download content. the app. And, and for the device, for those watching the video, it's this little headband right here, which I, I can't put on because I have a headset on. But this is what I, I had on this morning. All right, the standard American diet is a disaster. Let me share some quick stats with you. 88% of Americans are considered metabolically unhealthy. 75% are overweight or obese. 34% are pre-diabetic and 9.4% are diabetic. No bueno, my friends. Now, a ketogenic diet can be great for weight loss, but it's not for everybody. Uh, I've tried it many times and failed miserably. So if you're like me and you're not ready to ditch the carbs, I'm going to tell you how you can get your ketones on the sly. Ketone IQ is a drinkable source of exogenous ketones. It's actually been around since uh, 2017, but it was super expensive and largely used by elite athletes who could afford it. But the crew over at HVMN reformulated it last year, and it's now 66% more price efficient than the Ketone 1.0. Plus, I'll tell you what, it tastes a whole lot better. The first version was rough, I ain't gonna lie. I drink this stuff on the daily for multiple reasons, but one of them is that I can take it and be energized and not feel hungry for about five hours. To get started on your ketone journey, or to up your current keto game, head over to hvmn.com Luke and subscribe at checkout to get 30% off your first subscription. Ketone IQ is made with BDO, which is found in foods like avocado, coconut, and honey. It's a really healthy energy source that the brain loves. Not only does Ketone IQ help me stay trim, but it also helps me drop into a flow state before every single podcast. No joke. Uh, I love chugging one of these right before I record. Super sharp for the brain. Again, get yours today at hvmn.com Luke and subscribe upon checkout to get 30%. Okay, I've done a few shows, at least two or three devoted to neurofeedback. Yeah. With the QEEG, like the full, mm-hmm. the full-on thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was 
three years ago at BioCyberNot uh, in Sedona, Arizona, where I went and did like a five-day training. It was like, oh, wow. yeah, I don't know. They, they take your, your uh, phone away, mm-hmm. and then you're doing your training in a dark booth with no windows, and you have no idea. You kind of know what day it is because you know when you walked in there, but you have no idea what time it is, and it's this whole thing. Uh, it's very intense, like alpha training, basically. Yeah. So I did a show with uh, Dr. Jim Hart and uh, Andrew Hill in Los Angeles from Peak Brain Institute. So mm-hmm. some of the older listeners will be familiar with neurofeedback. Many people listening, probably the vast majority, are like, what the hell is that? So maybe you could just give us kind of an overview on neurofeedback as a genre, and then we'll talk about how it's been adopted in a, in a much more accessible way with the Mendy. Yeah, so we do QED in the office, oh, okay. so I'm very familiar with that, and we have people do neurofeedback with QED, um, so that's... I mean, what that system is. do you use? Is it a... Brainmaster? Oh, okay, cool. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. So, I mean, I've seen that for a while, and then we got the Mendy, and I was like, hold on a second, <laughs> this is... So easy. It's so easy. And a lot of the people, if they have sensory issues too, you're putting all the goop in their hair all the time every day. And there's a lot of value to doing the full QEG for someone who has a severe TBI and they need, you know, maybe they need more temporal lobe or they need something else uh, going on other than just frontal. But for the average person, and that's who, you know, Mendy is really marketing to right now, working the frontal, prefrontal lobe area is it's like a dam, right? Our prefrontal lobes are like a dam. The majority of the brain is excitatory, and so it spends most of its energy inhibiting. So if that dam starts to break down, you have water rushing through of impulse control issues, anger issues, sleep issues, these different things that come through, right? So when you're using Mendy and you're strengthening that prefrontal cortex, you're strengthening that dam and you're building that wall back up and that's neuroplasticity and it's that's why it's something you need to repeat typically when you're trying to build neuroplasticity it's a higher frequency at the beginning and then you can you know go to maybe 10 minutes a day or whatever it is maybe instead of two sessions you're doing one session something like that but that's kind of how to look at it right when we're looking at the prefrontal cortex of we need to keep that strong and that's for life that's not just at certain periods we want that into 30s 40s 50s 60s and beyond we want to have that integrity and that prefrontal cortex to be able to go through life in a regulated manner and in a calm manner and be able to have conversations with family members that might otherwise be triggering and being able to you know, keep yourself calm, that type of thing. I mean, living life with less reactivity in and of itself is a massive win. <laughs> you know it's a I'm massive saying? one. It yeah. changes the world. Yeah. It, really. And that, that's why, like, I am, <laughs> like, oddly obsessed with this thing. It's not oddly because I know why. But I'm literally, like, this just matches what my purpose, my goal, my vision, and it makes it so accessible in a way that I've never seen with a tool. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of the tools, all the neurofeedback stuff, you know, whatever. It's great. It has value, but it's very expensive. It's very limiting for people to be able to do. And this is just and di- golden. And, and difficult to do at home. I mean, I know some oh, yeah. systems, you know, you can buy like it's a piece of thousands of dollars, though. Yeah. Um, to unpack neurofeedback mm-hmm. a little bit more, and maybe you can explain this with more... Uh, eloquence but the way i think about it mm-hmm. is with an emphasis i mean obviously the neurology part of it but the feedback right where you're experiencing uh 
something sensory, like you're looking at a screen, like yeah. in the case of traditional neurofeedback or in the Mindy, I'm looking at the app. Mm-hmm. And through your uh, visual stimuli, mm-hmm. your brain is then responding to what you're seeing and it's behaving according to what your goal is, right? So there's like a feedback loop between your perception mm-hmm. and the brain waves or different things, or the blood flow in this case in the prefrontal cortex. Exactly. That's happening. Is that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, and it's reinforcing that. It's reinforcing whatever you want to have happen, which is more oxygenated blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. It reinforces that with ball going up and the stars right. and the nice noise and everything. Yeah. So when I'm when I'm looking at the app, and I wish I could show it, you know, on the on the video, I could just do one. But when I'm when I'm looking at the app, it's just it looks like a very basic video game, like mm-hmm. most neurofeedback. It's not like. World of Warcraft or something, sure. right? It's just like super simple. And there's kind of a little wave form and there's a little uh, kind of yin-yang looking ball mm-hmm. that kind of goes up and down and, and then makes stars when it's going up and a little ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. And so what I perceive to be happening when I use Mendy is that the more my brain's doing what we, myself and Mendy, wanted to do, it's getting stimuli because it's going higher and going ding, 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 and that's yes. encouraging the brain to get more oxygenated blood into the into the front of the brain. Is that kind of what's happening? Yeah, yeah, and it's just reinforcing that pattern, and that's how you build neuroplasticity. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, and we and we are building, by the way, more. Uh, you know, more games, and that's like one of the things that, that are coming, like more exciting. Maybe oh, really? not war, yeah, World of Warcraft type <laughs> stuff, but uh, a lot more games. But the way that I look at it is like, I've been bench pressing since I was 14. It's like, it works. Like, yeah. if it works, it doesn't really need disco lights. For sure. I, yeah. I, I don't need well, disco that'll lights just, on the Well, from right? my perspective, that'll cause neurological fatigue, yeah. which we don't want. Yeah. We don't want it to be too much. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. everything's got to be, and, and everything that we build, just so you know, our CPO is a neuroscientist. Our uh, our head of content is a neuroscientist. It's like we're we're very very yeah. science. You got all the good everything. nerds. We're, yeah, we're we're not. <laughs> okay. we're, yeah, we and they're all amazing people with yeah. a moral compass that is unshakable. Like you you've met some mm-hmm. of them already, and I'm incredible. Just, yeah, and uh, yeah. but that's the thing. We're not just yeah. doing things. Uh, you know, bells and whistles and hype like is not really what we're going for. Like we we've gone the slow and steady route because we wanted to do things right, and we're not about making. I'll give you an example. I turned down the sale before we launched on Kickstarter of thirty thousand devices to one of the big healthcare companies in the U.S. that wanted to give thirty thousand Mendy devices as a CSR project to at-risk youth. So basically, uh, you know kids that are like in gangs, like gang members and, you know, kids with issues with problems. And, you know, the intentions were good, but many times good intentions lead to poor, you know, results. And we had to say no to that. That was, you know, I said no, because what that's going to do is it's just going to give us a bunch of noisy data. For us, it's about learning how we can help. Like, for example, understanding what she does is seeing how these kids react to the training, et cetera, so that we can I remember one of the things that she told me on the call, she's like, well, there's something that could be done better. I'm like, perfect, let's get it done. And she's like, well, what if that's bad for business? I'm like, I don't give a shit. You know, this is not, clearly I'm a terrible CEO. Like I'm horrible for business. Clearly but, not, but, okay. but But, you know, it's like, let's do what is right. You know, yeah. and, if, and, and the sooner we do it, the better. And that's why we want all these scientists and we want all these communicators. We want everybody giving their opinions and giving their feedback so that we can build something that can help. You know, the Luke stories, 
of the world and the, you know. My, my brain needs a lot of help. <laughs> I've put this thing through you. hell over the years. <laughs> well, to your point of democratizing this brain health, right? I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about a lot of the great technology, like those, you know, more extensive neurofeedbacks mm -hmm. and the biocharger and all these things. I mean, you're talking two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand oh, dollars yeah. for a thing. It's like cool. There's a very small percentage of people that can afford to mm -hmm. see a practitioner or to have something like that in their house. This thing's like three hundred bucks. Which I have to admit, in the beginning, when Josh first introduced me to you, and then I looked, at, he's like, I oh, got it, Mindy, and I looked it up, and I, I kind of thought, just because the world I'm in and the people that I interview and whatnot, when it was only $300, I was like, eh, it probably doesn't really do that much because it's only $300, mm -hmm. which is a really bad way to think about things, but getting to know you a bit more and understanding what your long-term goal is. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, if from a business perspective, your margins allow you to still become a profitable company at $300 retail. No one in the consumer base knows that. You could have charged $1,200 and no one would know the difference. And there's a lot of companies out there and there's a lot of drugs out there where they could sell them for a tenth of what the price is. They just don't because they can't charge that. And it just becomes, it's, it becomes a moral question. Well, it's also, you know, and I'm no master businessman by any stretch, but thinking about long game and like what your ultimate goals are. I mean, whether it's to make a bunch of money while helping people, I mean, just say like on a very positive note, yeah, you want to help a bunch of people and you want to make a bunch of money. I think that making something that is valid and really works and has the science to back it more accessible to more people ultimately is going to bring a, a bigger financial gain than just trying to take all the money right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like a short term it's a short-term plan. It's like, oh, let's get this small section of people to pay 1200 bucks versus your ultimate goal, as you stated. Like, let's have this covered by insurance and completely democratize it so that it's free for everyone. 100%. And, and it's a relative term. Like, how much is a bunch of money, right? And, and another thing, so that's why we turned down the sale of these 30,000 devices, which would have been $9 million in cash, which is great for a little startup, right? But we said no, because what we want is we need people that actually want the Mendy's and that are going to use them. We need highly motivated users so that we can build the best products. If I give 30,000 Mendy's to people that are, it's like giving treadmills to people that don't want to use them. They're going to put them under the bed and the data is going to tell us that, hey, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't help you get in shape. It doesn't, you know, that's, for us, it was about picking people that use it, run tests, have an open dialogue, open, transparent, like a transparent communication with our users uh, and also with the scientific community, just opening up to criticism. Uh, and that's what's led to, to us being in the stage now where, you know, where we actually can collaborate with people that are, you know, the hardcore neuroscientists, you know, the people from the Stanford's and the Princeton's of the world and, you know, doctors and, but also at the same time, we can kind of like bridge that gap and start talking about people that are more like in the spiritual world and all that, and just find these bridges, like a lot of these biohackers and stuff, and we can have this discussion. It's like, why is it that this person feels better? My, my problem with science, or like a lot of scientists, was that a lot of scientists do science for the sake of science, but not science to impact people. Like they'll do research for the sake of research. It's like notches on their belt. It's not really because they're trying to get, so over a technicality, they'll throw out something that could have helped a ton of people. Whereas for me, it's like, okay, let's, let's look at it. Let's analyze it. Let's be open-minded. Let's get 
the hardcore scientists, let's get the, the practitioners, the neurofeedback people, the neuroscientists, the doctors, the psychologists, everybody looks at this problem together and let's figure out how we can help people. And uh, without overpromising, without telling people, oh, use this one time, it's gonna fix your depression. You know, because we know it will help people with depression, but you know, there is not one thing that's gonna fix everything magically. Like that's not how the world works. Like not even plant medicine will do that where you just take it and you're done. You, you know, everything is figured out. It's like everything requires work. And uh, <laughs> that right there is a really good point. I know you're not a big plant medicine guy, but when I first started working in that realm, I had so much benefit and it was so transformative that I thought anyone who's ever ventured into that uh, practice would have had the same results. And I started meeting people that were still really screwed up people yes. that have done a lot of psychedelics. Yes. Not that I'm not, you know, in my own ways, but I mean, quantifiably, my life changed dramatically. I became much more healthy emotionally and mentally, you know, as a result of that. But yeah, there's integration, right? So it's like someone might use the Mendy, just like someone might go do an ayahuasca ceremony. And there might be some changes in your psyche, but then you are left with the responsibility of actualizing those changes and actually acting on them, right? Mm -hmm. like integrating them. And not only that, but, but I, do, I just hate the concept of either or. Like you can, there's many things. I'm not saying like, okay, your, your life is fucked up. You need to start exercising, period. You're done. You go to the gym, you lift weights. I mean, that's a good thing, but you lift weights. You do Mendy. Maybe you do the plant medicine. Maybe you do. There's a lot of different things. There's different layers to improving people's lives. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to make one of them accessible, you know, and, and to do it science-based and something that is, for people like me, the life, you know, the changes are, are life-changing, you know. And uh, everybody needs to go on their own journey and everybody needs to see. And, and there's different people that react to it differently. And a lot of the, the knowledge that I have over right lobe and left lobe and the differences and all this stuff, and I've been researching it and I talked to the, the science team about it, was over a conversation with her. So for me, it's just fascinating that, that if we all come together, we can accelerate science so much. And these things piss a lot of people off, but it doesn't really matter to me. Good. Well, what I tell patients all the time, because parents will come in and they're like, we've done all of these therapies and we hardly saw any results. And I'm like, well, you didn't get to the, to the core, right? The brain's controlling everything. So if you can get that figured out, so if someone wants to go do plant medicine but their prefrontal cortex is shit, how are they actually going to make it through processing all of that when they come back out of it? But you pair that up, that's pretty cool. Or even you yeah. follow up normal neurofeedback with something yeah, you can sure. take at home. You could, there, there's so many things. There's, there's, yeah, I mean, there's endless, endless options with this, for sure. With the, going back to the neurofeedback, it just mm -hmm. occurred to me, with the Mendy, we're measuring blood flow, mm -hmm. but with traditional neurofeedback, we're measuring electrical activity. Brainwaves. Brainwaves. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So what, what's the difference fundamentally between the results you get or what you, um, what one subjectively experiences mm -hmm. working with the blood flow in this case versus the electrical activity. Hmm. I mean, is it, is it still, are you just, you're giving feedback to the brain and encouraging it to do what you want it to do in two different ways? I think it's, ultimately it, it's, it's like different. the same goal. Yeah, there's the same goal because you want a healthier brain, but when you're looking at 
brain waves. Like I can look at a QEG and someone, you know, never told me that they had a head injury and they've got this hot spot. And I can say, oh, you know, did you, are you sure you never hit your head? Oh, actually when I was 12, you know, I fell off a ladder or something. That happens all the time. So when you're doing the traditional QEG neurofeedback, I might target that more. But again, that's different. That's someone coming in with a brain injury, really severe symptoms, something like that. That's different than optimizing prefrontal cortex for like a better life, better regulation. It's just, it's kind of two different things. They're both going to get you some sort of outcome, but it really depends what kind of depends what you're looking for but also I would I love to put people like they do the QEG and the traditional QEG that doesn't mean we don't do Mendy with them because their brain is going to be healthier to be able to handle doing Mendy and get better results from doing Mendy got it that's what I've observed clinically okay cool yeah and the prefrontal cortex is related to our emotional responses to life more like the impulsiveness um, anger, sleep issues, more of that. The, the emotional part, there's a lot of different pieces that have to okay. do with the emotional part. But it basically has to do with the regulation of those things. Ah, uh, okay. Does better, that make sense? better decision making and more yes. control, more agency. Yes. So the executive function. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, for example, when we're talking about things like addiction, which we touched up on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what will literally give you the ability, the physical ability to put down the bottle of vodka. Uh, so you might still be having the emotions, but then you'll have the agency over it. Right. So to be able to make a decision. Yes. Right. Oh, that's yes. good. Maybe that's why I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a diet, diet in the wool addict, man. You know, it's like I quit doing drugs and started taking supplements. It's, it's People point that out. I'm like, yeah, no shit. It's not lost on me. Like, look in my, look in my cabinet down there. Follow me around with like a hidden camera all day. And be like, you gotta act like an addict. Well, yeah, but the, you know, the compulsiveness and impulsiveness and all of that. I mean, it's so important for every person, regardless of what their background is. You know, to be able to. Sure, you have these emotions. You have crazy thoughts. Oh, yeah. But what do you do with it? Are you able to take yeah. a breath and pause? Yeah before you yell at your kid or flip off the driver or totally. or even spiral down into more depressive thoughts. Yeah, rumination. So people just yeah. overthink things, like you have a breakup, whatever. It's like, oh, and then you start to overthink this and your life becomes this black void, like this hole that never ends, you know? And then how do you stop that? How do you swipe that away, kind of, you know? Does the Mendy and its ability to bring more oxygenated blood into the prefrontal cortex help with rumination, yep. with overthinking? 100%. Yeah? Cool. That used to be a huge problem for me. Less so nowadays. But maybe that I've been using the Mendy a lot. What, do yeah. you, how long ago did we meet? I'm so uh, bad at time. When was it? I flew from Costa Rica. Was Three that? months ago or something? It might have been like the beginning of the year. It might have like six months ago. Oh my God. Okay. Well, to my point. So that's how long I've been using Mendy. Yeah. I think that's we. Great reached out to you guys within a couple of weeks after yeah. that. Y'all yeah. sent me one. So, And I went ham when I first got it. I was like seven days a week, 15 minutes, non-negotiable. And then it's like anything, too. You start feeling better, and then you kind of like, well, I don't need to do the thing. You exactly. Know? That's the thing. And, and this is one of those like, factor. oh, how long do you have to use it? I'm like, well, do you go to the gym, get a six-pack, and then you're done training for the rest of your life? Yeah, now it's just, you know cookies and sitting around the couch and never taking a walk for the rest of my life. No, obviously that's not how 
things work, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You use it or you lose it. So in terms of uh, benefits that you're seeing clinically, feedback that you're getting from your client base, what are, what are the main things? You know, you mentioned your nightmares, so insomnia, depression, anxiety, addiction. Can we unpack those a little bit and anything else that I missed? Impulse control is a big one. Um, Do you find the the impulse control is um, more quantifiable in kids because they're generally more impulsive or the kids that you're Mm. dealing with are even more compulsive than than, uh, other kids? Adults, a lot of adults have impulse control issues. <laughs> they do, and they might not recognize it. I mean, I just it. this at 40, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be food. I mean, food is a big one for people with impulse control issues. It is for me. And even healthy food. It can still, that doesn't mean you don't have an impulse control issue just because you're eating something healthy. Right. Yeah. My, my impulse control issue, and I know you have a candy room at home, which is totally bizarre. Mine's like sweets at night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe I should set the intention for my Mindy practice to, to help with that. And it's, yeah, and there's like the devil and the angel on the shoulder. It's like, yeah. Luke, you just, I just lost 20 pounds recently. You know, I, I just, I don't know what was happening, but I ballooned up. For, for me, I, I was going into the Orca range and, um, and lost, lost a few pounds. And then when it happened, and I did alter my eating a bit, things obviously worked out a little bit more. But still, there'd be that angel devil where it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, you should totally be winding down and going to bed. But I'm like, my wife does not have impulse control with sugar. So she buys these like gluten-free cookie dough packets. And if I know they're in the fridge, dude, I cannot stop myself. I just can't. Like literally. Well, this will help you. I'm like, don't do it, Luke. Don't do it. Don't do it. And there I am. I'm like, I'll just take two out of the bag. That's not that much (laughs) sugar or whatever, right? And next thing you know, I crush six of them. I almost wish my wife got mad when I when I crush all her sugar stash, but she doesn't. <laughs> I'll be ready to eat the last one. I'm like, she's gonna get mad. I'm like, no, actually, she's not. She never has said it once. Like, don't eat all my shit, and that that doesn't help. But maybe maybe the menu will help me. One hundred percent. I mean, there, it's just such a yeah. It's like a waterfall effect of benefits on your prefrontal cortex. I mean, we can talk about things like Alzheimer's. I mean, cognitive decline. Like we're we're on our way there. You know, it's like, you know, how do you fight that? You make your brain stronger. Just like, uh, I, I think an analogy, and I love your damn analogy. I've been thinking about that in the background. I love that. That makes so much sense. But the way I look at it is like, if your prefrontal cortex is like, you know, when you see like a like a, a very old person that hasn't trained a lot and they've got really flabby like triceps, like that that's your prefrontal cortex. Like it can't really carry bags. Like it can't really care. Like you understand, it can't really you know, go and do the chores. Whereas if you strengthen that tricep, I'm talking about the prefrontal cortex, then then you're, you know, you can, you can carry your kids and carry the shopping bags and do whatever it is that you need to do. Push the car if it breaks down and deal with those everyday problems in life. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's about strength and resilience, you know, uh, across the board. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that we hear that are writing us things that, you know, like I got off, X or Y medication, you know, depression, whatever. And uh, we're not anti-pharma. We're not telling people to get off their medication. We're not telling people to, like, understand. But what we're saying is put this into your daily habits and you are going to see benefits and then go from there. Like, that's that's the, the best thing that a person can do for themselves. And 
And I mean, the whole concept of biohacking comes from that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Self-agency. Mm -hmm. I think that's what appeals to me about it. I, I'm not that crazy about that term because I, I don't have a really mechanistic relationship with the body. It's more of a living, breathing, loving <laughs> kind of relationship. So I don't think about hacking my body. It's kind of more partnering with it. Biopartnering. <laughs> I, I have to come up with a term that I, that, I like, that I like better. But yeah, I think, you know, it's exciting. Now I think more people are learning. Yeah, yeah medical systems there, psychiatrists is there, therapists, like, great. It's all there, and there are some wonderful and brilliant people helping people have better lives. But man, there's a lot you can do on your own if you have a little discipline. Yeah, look at COVID. I mean, I, I, it was like half the population of the United States, for example, where we are right now, is, you know, has some sort of mental health issue that, you know, a lot of these things you could dramatically improve by yourself without getting on drugs. Uh, and again, I'm not anti-pharma, but it's like there's a lot of work that you could do. Like, it's like these people that are just taking these pills so that they can keep eating the cookies, you know, the whatever. Like, there's a lot of these drugs out there, but it's like, well... There's also the choice of eating less cookies and going for a walk, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a drug that exists as yeah. well. You yeah, know? yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's kind of like the approach to it. Uh, I want to let people know, and I'll put this in the show description because I know when I listen to podcasts, it's hard to remember links. But if you guys want to try out a Mendy, uh, we've got twenty percent off for you. Go to mendy.io/discount/loop20. And the code's loop 20. Uh, but we'll put that in the show description so it's just easily clickable. And I'll remind you guys that all the show notes for everything we're talking about are loopstory.com slash Over the past three years, far too many of us have gotten comfortable spending way too much time indoors. And there are a gang of problems with that. You've got the artificial light, recycled air, exposure to man-made EMFs, you name it. Well, we've already got hacks for all that stuff, and we've talked a lot about it on past episodes, but there's another issue you might not even think about. If you spend all day inside, or even if you wear rubber-soled shoes outdoors, you're almost never grounded. And this is important because the Earth has a natural negative charge that our ancestors were in sync with 24-7. The sad fact is that rubber soles block this energy that should be flowing through us and disconnect us from our source, Mother Earth. Now, of course, going barefoot is best, and I do that as much as possible. But there are times when that's just not feasible, like when you're walking on dirty roads or glyphosate-saturated grass. My grounding shoes from Rizal are the perfect solution when I'm out and about. The coolest thing is that they're grounded. They've got a copper plug that goes right through the sole of the shoe and touches the earth. They're also barefoot designed, which means you've got a wide toe box, no raised heel or arch support, and a thin, flexible sole that lets you feel the ground. Plus, they're handmade of natural fibers. They are super comfortable and stylish for almost any occasion. And that's important. If you've seen some of the minimal footwear out there, uh, they can get pretty nasty and not necessarily something you want to wear in public. To check out their selection, punch up risal.co and use the code LUKE10 to get 10% off. Risals are the perfect way to get more grounding time throughout the day without even having to think about it. So go grab yourself a pair now. Your body and the earth will thank you. That's risal.co and you spell that R-H-I-Z-A-L. Risal.co and use the code LUKE10 to get 10% off. 
What, one thing that I, I want to point out, and it's one of the reasons why I love that people like Melissa exist, and I'm so grateful for them, is so the word mendy comes from the verb to mend. And that's really no different to what she has been doing for years at her clinic. She's been mending people's brains. She's been mending people's lives. She's been mending these drowned kids' lives and all these things. And basically is how do we get a version of that? Because we will never be able to recreate Melissa. That's impossible. Technology will not, never be able to recreate her. But what's a supplement to that that we could make available to everybody? And that's kind of like the spirit of what we do. I love it. Mendy is a great name. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, making amends. Mm-hmm. You know, when you make amends to someone, you're repairing your... Easier to do, though, in a prefrontal cortex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't admit you're wrong if your prefrontal <laughs> cortex right. is shut down. You're always right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. Uh, another application to this I wanted to talk about was focus. Uh, ADD, ADHD, all, all this kind of stuff is... I've never been diagnosed with those, but on some days it's really hard to sit at my computer and do the thing I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you seen clinically or in your own subjective experience, MOHA, that uh, indicates that Mendy is supporting for focus? Mm-hmm. You start with that. Uh, so my, speaking personally as a user, my ability to focus has so dramatically improved. It's like I'm just way more present than, you know, people that have known me for a long time, they really see the the, the difference. Like I... I wouldn't even be able to, like, literally just do a normal job. Like, I, I literally talk about the fact that I wouldn't be hired for any position at Mendy. Like, literally, it just, I just don't have, you know, I've never had the capacity to do any of these things, right? So it's like I've had to kind of, like, build a skill set where I could be worthy of a job and, and give myself a job because I, as far as focus, yeah, I mean, uh, ADHD is a huge one for us. I mean, the help that kids are getting, I mean, they're just... Anybody, you know, you could just go look, see a doctor and get a prescription for ADHD in a second. Yeah, the technology curve is really steep. There's a lot of information happening at all times. The younger generations are having it even harder than we are. I mean, we're, there's going to be a big crisis showing up in the future. The next generation is headed for, for a lot of issues. Um, my buddy Dave Asprey sent me this study that was fascinating that showed that... Um, a healthy teenager today has a poorer mental health from a psychiatric ward teenager in the 50s. Just think about that. Whoa. So that is basically, and, and, and remember the, the difference, kind of like the, the, the technology curve from the 50s to now is not nearly as fast as what it's going to be over the next 20 years. Like, that is accelerating dramatically. Like, what we've seen in the last 15 years is unheard of. You know, I've said this many times, the fact that a little kid can't go to the bathroom and take a shit without watching six TikToks and sending 15 messages. And, you know, it's, it's just the layers of behavior that have been added through. It, it's just going to pile on on these already humongous numbers and these humongous problems. And obviously... Nobody sees the individual. Nobody cares about me. Like, nobody cares about these people. The beauty of what Melissa does is that she knows these kids. She knows these patients by name. It's like each of them matters to her. That's why it's, you know, the emotional toll it must take on you is, is unbelievable. And you're a, a fucking superhero. I've, I've said that since I met you. And I admire you so much and people like you so much. But it's very difficult 
to be able to focus on each individual and give them the right amount of help. That's why they'll just throw pills at you. You could literally just go like and be like, hey, I think I might have ADHD. Yes, you do. Here's your pill. And that's basically the way that we treat all these conditions. And there's a better way. And we're going to you know, power our way through and make it more accessible so that people understand that. But yeah, ADHD is a very big one. Um, that's always the very non-scientific way for me to explain things. It's so relatable, though. That's why I like it. Melissa, what can you tell me uh, about um, human neurology and the effects of these social media apps on the brain? Because I've noticed Mm. subjectively, because of the way they're designed to just get you dopamine strung out, basically. I mean, that's a huge part of it. If I get up and get on my phone, and start going through Twitter and refreshing and refreshing, which I do my best not to do, but it's it's difficult at times. It's not, I do much better if I get up meditate, just get myself grounded, and then I can engage in the world and have more resilience to that temptation. But if I fail to do that, and I get up and get on social media instead of doing a Mendy session, my focus is gonna be shit that day, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed over the years, because unfortunately, a lot of my work involves interacting with social media. It's like you're wanting to put yourself out there now. Yes. Well, I want to put myself out there and unless you can afford to pay someone to exactly. be you as your personality and trust that they're going to do that authentically, which is very difficult. Uh, you're in the game. Um, I have noticed going back to the reading, I used to be actually quite a good reader and more of a reader. I could stay focused. I would read pretty dense, especially spiritual books and things that were you know, not really exciting to read, but information that I wanted to integrate. I've noticed my reading of physical books is way worse since I've had a phone in my hand for a few years. And there's no other explanation for it because I'm healthier, my brain's healthier. In, in every other quantifiable metric, I'm doing way better. Why is it that my reading is so much worse? The only thing that has changed is my relationship to technology and specifically social media. So I know it's not good. What do you see with children or people that you work with in terms of... It's not giving you those dopamine hits. (laughs) I mean, unless you're like rewarding yourself with each page, you know, you're not getting that. And we've become accustomed to needing that, unfortunately. You know, I'm, I'm part of it. I know all of this, but I still, you know, will find myself. I know if I look, if I'm on my phone before I get out of bed in the morning, it's not good. Wearing out on that dopamine. Oh, for sure. Your focus and presence is... Absolutely. And productivity is going to be down the drain. Get up, do the shit, then look at, then look at social media if you're going to do that. But it also has to do with the vertical scrolling. And I've been saying for years, Uh. I wish that we could change. I wish there was an app on the phone that you could change, you know, TikTok to scroll from, I don't actually use TikTok. I'm assuming it scrolls vertical. Everything scrolls vertical because it's just feeding the mesencephalon. You're just feeding that like beast that's just addiction 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 where if you have it scrolling vertical it's not going to feed them in stuff the same way no, sorry yeah really vertical uh, so they do the vertical versus horizontal. bastards do it on purpose because that's how yeah, i would say for sure. it's funny. and even the colors and then you add in blue light toxicity on top of it yeah now you're speaking my language yeah. uh yeah. my worst social media addiction strangely is twitter and it scrolls Vertically. They, they all scroll. And what's funny is I have no followers on Twitter. No one will pay attention to me there at all. 
I've had Twitter for years. I have like 5,000 followers. I get no likes, no retweets. I'm just dead in the water. So I don't really try to use Twitter to express myself, but it's sure. kind of my news feed. You know, when yeah. I want to doom scroll and see how shitty the yeah. world is, uh, I go on Twitter to torture myself. <laughs> but, you know, you yeah. can't, it's like that refreshing in the ding, ding, ding. Absolutely. It's, it's like a negative neurofeedback. So, so this is a really important thing because we talk okay. about neuroplasticity. Right? And it's gotten really popular. I've been doing this a long time. People thought I was loco when I was first talking about it. You can change the brain. Hell yeah, you can change the brain, right? Everyone knows that now. Neuroplasticity. But there's positive neuroplasticity and there's negative neuroplasticity. Oh, oh those. And that's a really important distinction. Yikes. So you can build negative neuroplasticity in anything, really in any habit. Any habit that you don't want is negative neuroplasticity. Like ruminating about what 100%. happened in a relationship, for example. Or You're something. building neuroplasticity yeah. in that pathway, which is going to make it that much harder. You just made a super highway mm-hmm. out of that thought. Of negative thoughts. Exactly. And you have to have a more powerful stimulus than that rumination for six months to overcome it. And that's often where people will end up in therapy or end up in something else because their mind is going down that super highway. They have to seek something outside to break that down because you have to stop traveling down that highway to let it break down wow that is deep that is a tweetable which i would tweet if anyone <laughs> listens to me on twitter maybe you can you do it anyway. i don't have twitter <laughs> no, but I mean, maybe like, i do from like 10 years ago you know, this idea. concept of, of you know uh deleterious yeah uh, neuroplasticity, right? I ne- I literally never had that thought once. I'm just like, yeah. I know something's wrong when I'm on my phone too much and I can't read a book or focus and I just feel mm-hmm. super sketchy. But that's so interesting. We're, we're yeah. training the negative patterns into our brain. Yeah, it's so. what happens when a concept gets popular. You lose the, the meat of what's actually going on. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. hardcore. Um, so it would stand to reason that on like on those good days when I get up and set my prefrontal cortex, yeah. it's such a hard word to say. What's the um, acronym? PFC. 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 I think I'll say PFC. When I hook up the PFC with the <laughs> oxygenated blood and I'm getting the kind of neuroplasticity that we want, yeah. it makes sense that one would be more resilient to the hooks, the addiction of all of that fake stimuli. Mm-hmm. Right? You're setting yourself for success. 100%. Yeah. Setting yourself up for success. Yes. Uh, do we have anything going on in the military, in uh, acute care, in the medical system? Are there any people that are like under a tremendous amount of stress that are using men? So we, we, we've had talks with the military, uh, with some branches. I'm and people from the Air Force have reached out. A lot of uh, uh, the UFC, for example, uses Mendy. Like there, there, there's a lot of. When it comes to PTSD, when it comes to the military twofold, obviously having them be able to focus and be able to to under those stressful situations and when it's needed to be able to perform and be fully there and to be in the zone uh, and also the traumatic events. You know, there's a lot of veterans and a lot of different people. Um, what we've been doing with Mendy right now is a lot of it has been B2C, but that will change into into you know, B2B, which we were already doing a few big things in, but also B2G. Um, I believe that anybody that has seen, uh, and not only that has fought, but anybody that's been in a war zone should have access to this to naturally be able to improve their lives. And 
and supplement whatever it else they're doing to be able to cope because, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was the nightmares and for other people, it's even worse, right? So it's, um, but yeah, there, there is a world where everybody that's in that world will have access to this. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of it happens here in the U.S. first. Awesome. I mean, China's doing some, some stuff as well. They've, I, I believe they, a lot of them have different intentions on how they use technology. They're using different technologies. Like, for example, again, to manipulate the focus of students, teaching them how to focus and all that. And, but it's more like a surveillance type situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it works, yeah. right? I mean, the, the light turns red, you know, the, the teacher scolds you. That teaches you how to, you know, it's a punishment reward system kind of thing, I guess. Um, we feel that there's a, there's a more ethical way of doing that and that everybody should have agency and control over their own stuff. And it's not a, yeah, a tool it, of manipulation. It's voluntary. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Imagine you're a kid in school, you have eight in China, mm-hmm. right? And you have ADD and you can't focus and your social credit score goes down. <laughs> and then you go buy a loaf mm-hmm. of bread and they're like, sorry, your score fell too, that's terrifying. That stuff is just freaks me out. Well, well when you, when you, but when you talk about like military and stuff, like it actually eats up on me. So I get anxiety, I get stressed knowing that there's so many people that need what we have that still haven't gotten it. So it's just like I'm thinking, you know what, if I would have started using Mendy at 35 instead of 40, what could I have achieved those five years? You know, how much better could I have done my fish brain journey and my all these companies? Like, understand, like, whatever, my relationships, you know, bad breakups, like all these, you know, bad decisions. Oh, um, my God. I'm going through Brother, wouldn't you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you kill to go I'm back to I'm going through the real of yeah. how my brain used yeah. to ruin my life yeah. for me. Yeah. Imagine so. if you would have had the ability to make better decisions. Right. That's a, an infinitely better life. Right, man, because it's, you know, your life is dependent, obviously, on your decisions and the actions you take, right? And, and those are motivated by thoughts and feelings that emerge within. And if you have the ability, and I think this is why meditation is so powerful, if you have the ability to be the observer of that phenomenon, there's a bit of a gap between what you're thinking and feeling and then what you do with it, right? So it sounds like this, like meditation, is giving us more of a pause, more of a gap. Someone says something that strikes you the wrong way. There's many different reactions, but two of them mainly, one of them being ah, just immediately reacting back and wanting to punish or defend. Mm-hmm. And the other is observing, oh, wow, that person just said that thing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm having this like hot sensation in my body and There's I'm filters. seeing... Yeah, and I'm seeing these thoughts start to form of what I want to say to hurt them or defend myself against them, right? It's micro seconds in there, but being able to make those micro decisions and change our actions, like have everything to do with the course of our life. Mm-hmm. It goes back to setting yourself up for success. You could have, you know, you, you avoided a physical confrontation, for example, or you avoided whatever, mm-hmm. shooting heroin. Like you understand, like it's it's these things, you know. It's uh, very tangible what we do. Yeah. And by the way, I take no credit for it. I didn't build it. So yeah. two Swedish founders built it. Namely, Rickard Eklof is the one that built the technology, and Sammy is the was basically the first guy. And 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 their foray into it was that they had issues and they needed it. Sammy is is a deeply deeply anxious person that went through everything, went to hell and back to find something that would help him. And that's where the genesis of, of Mendy started when, you know, this 
genius that builds hardware that does touch screens for Sony Ericsson and all this stuff, Rickard, walks in and he's like, oh, you could help me build this thing? And he's like, yeah, why does it cost this much money? I can build it for a lot less. And the other guy was like, you know, oh, great, let's build it and let's sell it expensive. And then Rickard's a little bit of a communist. He's like, no, why, why that expensive? Then he brings me on, which, you know, I've been called a little bit of a communist myself. I'm like, yeah, we even cheaper. Let's make sure everybody gets it for free by 2030, you know, and that's the path we're on. But I don't want people to wait for until 2030, to be honest, because... You know, what's going to happen in the next seven years? You know, how many people need to die and how many people need to get beaten up and how many people need to do drugs that they could have avoided and how many people need, you know, failed relationships that could have been avoided. And yeah, it, I, I think that's the thing that, that really eats up at me is not moving fast enough, but doing things consciously and having smart people that are not motivated by just make money, make money, make money around me because then we can do things right. Not fast, but right. Just exactly the way that we should be doing them. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I talked about the, the scoring when we first started this conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if either of you are geeky enough to dive into this, or if you are, how deep. But when we're looking at the performance score, so as I said, today was a pretty good day. I got an 83. What does this 41% neural activity actually mean? What's, what's happening with that? Do you want to go? You can speak to that. Yeah, so basically that you've, you've increased the baseline by 41%. So you've increased oxygenated blood flow in response to neural activation as you're playing the training game. So when, when you look at the scores and when you look at the numbers, uh, in the app, there's a very clear explanation. But basically what it does is it's an algorithm that will reward consistency on top of your actual performance. Uh, okay. so, there's, so there's a little bit of... Uh, you know, and maybe to, to the people that are super black and white, like they don't want to hear this, but it's almost like, you know, you get an extra point for going to the gym, even if you don't do the best squat session, squatting session in, in the world. Because what you want to do is you want to reward consistency because consistency, it really adds up. It's the little things that you do that will really change your life. It's not that one big thing you do right now. Right? It's the little things that you do day in and day out. Those are the things that are going to prevent conditions, that are going to improve things, that are going to improve your life, that are going to improve your, your, how every day looks for you. So that's what it is. It's basically it's a combination of your actual performance plus your consistency and your commitment. Got it. Okay, cool. And before I forget, I just want to compliment. I know you weren't the engineer that worked on this, but I want to compliment and just pass this along to your your geeks in the factory or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that in the best sense. In Sweden, um, dude, I find there's a huge issue with most wearables that sync. That they're really hard to sync. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, so many people. I'm so grateful they have, but they've sent me their technology, something mm -hmm. like a Mendy, some kind of wearable. And you're like, cool, download the app, make an account, turn on the Bluetooth thing, sync, won't sync, forgets it. You come the next day, can't connect, and I just throw in the trash. I'm just, it's like so frustrating. So that's one thing that I've actually really enjoyed about this is it's super easy to use. Click the on button, open the app, connects every single time instantly, no problem. And for those uh, listening too, one of my concerns, and 
listeners, long-time listeners will know, one of my concerns is always EMF exposure. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of great technologies that come out, you know, a sauna or something, right? Oh, saunas are great for you. Well, you measure them with an EMF meter and you're getting fried with all kinds of uh, different um, frequencies. Not good. Now there's companies that do it better than others, but in the wearable space, that's always been challenging for me because I don't want to put stuff on my body, especially on my brain, that has EMF. This is actually the first one because I know it has to have Bluetooth in order to work because the device is talking to the app in real time. It's not like recording data and then uploading it to the app, right? This is the only one that I've actually been like, you know what? I don't care about the Bluetooth. <laughs> it's 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And honestly, I've met EMF <laughs> testers in here and just my phone sitting two feet away from me for an hour as I watch TV or something is way more radiation than I would ever get from 15 minutes of um, Bluetooth. But I want to let people know, you know, if they buy this thing and they're like, wait, Luke, is the EMF guy it has Bluetooth? <laughs> Personally, I ain't worried about it at all. It's a cost-to-benefit ratio. Yeah. It's like drinking a great, uh, I was talking to you earlier about a canned drink that has natural flavors, you know, and some natural flavors are, I'm sure, more artificial and toxic than others. I don't really care if something has natural flavors or citric acid or whatever that might not be optimal if the net benefit by far exceeds that, mm -hmm. you know. So I like the connectivity and I like that it's only 15 minutes. Or even shorter. I just happen to pick the longest uh, session. Yeah. But that, that's how the app works. And um, kudos to whoever designed it so that it doesn't so, frustrate the shit out yes. of Yes, so for the connectivity yeah. thing. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, you work so, with these technologies all the time. So <laughs> multiple times a week, I <laughs> struggling with some kind of Bluetooth something. And I always make a joke. I have to go get one of the younger doctors to like figure it out. But the amount of time... I just won't do it. I'm like, we're not doing that today. And I've literally not once ever had an issue with Mendy, ever. And that is another reason why I will grab it, because I know it's going to work. Yeah. It, it, for you, it's even worse, because like when, when I'm trying to connect some device, some yeah. wearable, it's just annoying and frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. But you're under the pressure of like having a client in there. You know? Oh, for sure. I have and like then, the parents and they're like, we're paying you how much? And you're you know, sitting here trying to figure you're out. You're fumbling what around like, oh, I think it'll connect. For sure. Out. I know. Out? I like grab one of my texts. I'm like, okay, you, you come over and figure this out while I continue. But it, it actually is a really difficult thing because there is some great stuff that just and, and it comes really back built. to what you and you know everybody in Stockholm and Sweden they'll they'll be hearing this and they'll they'll like hearing this <laughs> and I'm sure they'll they'll say thank you, uh, but that's the thing is that we built a clinical grade yeah. nearest device. It's a clinical grade functional near infrared spectroscopy device that could have been sold way 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 more expensive. Uh, it's just that there was no need to. You know that we're not in the we're not in the business of milking as much money from users as possible. We're in the business of giving, you know, a single mom with four kids, you know, something that can help them without her having to worry about not making rent. Like, that's kind of like the approach, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's, yeah, it's a I, very well-built device. It makes me glad that I don't have to throw it in the trash because I get so frustrated. <laughs> when shit won't connect, I don't know, maybe I need to do Mendy more and be more patient. And not be as frustrated. Yeah, like it happens in my car all the time because uh, when I go on long drives, I'll turn off all the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth in my car because it's just off the charts EMF. And then the next day, I won't know where I'm going, so I want to see my ways on the dash. <laughs> so I turn the Wi-Fi and all that back on. Phone never connects, so if anyone at BMW is listening, get your shit together. <laughs> so we can like, we can turn it on and off easier. 
So that was the, that was the neural activity. Then the next part of the score is uh, control. And as I said, mine today was a, was a whopping 43 seconds. What does that mean? Which is great. I mean, it, I mean there's people that can... I, yeah, I have a buddy of mine, uh, Mikey, and his mom can literally do like 150 seconds, 200. Like, I mean, these are just... We have different brains. Like, our brains are very, very different. I can't... Like, I, there's no way that I can compete with somebody like I, I, you know, I was just chatting with Kevin Durant uh, a couple of hours ago and, you know, he's seven feet tall. He's way better at some shit than I am. Like there's no way we can, that's, that's how the brains are. Like if I'm comparing my way of playing basketball to Kevin Durant's, I'm fucked. Like there's no way. And uh, I think you can explain it a little bit better, but control is, is how long you are able to maintain your focus. And what you want to do is you want to hold it there for as long as possible and you want to train it, you know, so that you can control the ball at will. And that's something that takes a lot of work. For some people, get it very quickly. Some people like me, it takes a long time for them to get really good at it. Uh, so and I'm not really good at it. When you're watching the ball on the app, this is one thing I've wondered, and I'm sure some of these answers are like in the FAQ of the <laughs> app, so forgive me for not just reading that, but, you know, we can share it with everyone here. Uh, I'm always a bit um, confused as to how much effort to put in. Like, do I want to, like, get my temples engaged and really, like, try to focus really hard on the ball or just chill? I've kind of rested on more just, like, relaxing, just staying relaxed, breathing uh, you know, a temperate breath and just gently watching the ball and trying to not be distracted. Well, I mean, part of it is what kind of neuroplasticity do you want to build? Oh. Right? I don't want you frustrated and focusing and because that's still going to build some neuroplasticity. That's my that's my clinical observation. Okay. From it. You, you can probably speak from more of like the actual Mendy side of it, but it's like when I have people... We do a lot of core work in the office, which seems like, what are you doing? You're, you have people doing planks. Well, yeah, that feeds into midline cerebellum. That makes for a healthier brain, all of these different things. But it's very different than an athlete training to, like, complete fatigue because I'm trying to train their brain. So I'm like, when you start to lose form, you stop. And then we do it again and we do it again. So I want it to be proper form. So really, for Mendy, you want to sit, you want to be relaxed. Yeah, more is and not better. I want better. you stressing because you're reinforcing that in your body. That's the same thing. Okay, when this ball goes up, I'm all tense. I don't want that reinforced for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Another thing I've noticed, because I've exper- I'm always experimenting with shit to see if I can get better at it. <laughs> and some of the things I've done have made it worse, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But one thing I notice is if I'm doing a Mendy session and I take a really deep breath, I'll get a little boost and the ball will st- start to go up. And I just assume, boy, you just, you just got more oxygen in your blood. And it's, it's seeing that. Is that what that is? Yeah, you're, you're sort of hacking the system. I mean, there's people that, I mean, there's people that be like, oh, I do push-ups and then I do a Mendy session. We're like, that's not the point. It's, that would be the same as you going to, to the gym, getting on the squat rack, you know, and just not knowing what the numbers are. The barbell is like, just get rid of the colors, get rid of the numbers and just be like, oh, you're like, oh, that's great. You, you could have done 100 pounds or you could have done 400 pounds. Awesome. How do you improve if you don't know, right? Or like being on the treadmill and running and not seeing the numbers. You don't know if you're running at five or if you're running at 15. So how do you know that you're actually building up that resilience and that strength? So that, that's the thing. It's What you want to do is you just want to relax and just basically do nothing. Don't move. Like, just relax and do your Mendy session. So you don't have to strain. Don't be agitated. It's, about, it's, it's actually about being in the zone. 
Yeah. And once you're there, you're in there. Like you're in that flow state. Like it's not for me, if I like my my way of doing it as always, is I start to feel my forehead get warmer. So I it's been something that I've used from the beginning is I will just start recruiting the blood to my prefrontal cortex. That's or that's how I imagine it. Sure. And that's basically how I do it. It's basically what I'm focusing on. And of course, if you talk to me, it'll drop, you know, and I need to be better at not being distracted. If you talk to me, you know, I do Mendy sessions, for example, in the back of cars, in an Uber, you know, I'll do a Mendy session on a flight. I fly all the time. I'm flying everywhere. I'll, I will always do a Mendy session on a flight. For me, that that's how it is. Like, I just, I just focus on getting the blood to the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of consciously activating the, the you know, the neuroplasticity. Um, that's my technique. I don't know what you tell your clients um, how they use it, but. Just relax, usually, and think about the ball going. That's usually how I describe it, especially mm-hmm. to the kids. You know, like use your imagination. So they're sitting there in a relaxed state, but using their imagination, because that's still going to start to bring blood flow. And then it starts having like the, the video of Mona, right? Yeah. He literally goes, what do I do? And I said, just think about it going up. He looks at it and it starts going up and he's like, whoa, you know, freaking out. And that's so cool for a kid to see the power that they have over their own mind. I mean, that's life changing for a kiddo to see that. Do you find kids respond well to this because it does have the look and feel of a game yeah. of sorts? Oh yeah, yeah. It's fun. I mean, I do a lot of boring stuff for them in the office. Yeah. So this is a much more fun thing than yes, yes, than you know, stimpod their brachial plexus and their arms jumping. <laughs> this is so fun for them. <laughs> That's hilarious. I had some of that the other day with Did a you? functional neurologist. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, over at Alive and Wild, Dr. Uh, Carla. I don't even know her last name. I was called Dr. Carla. But yeah, she has all those uh-huh. vagal nerve, you know, activators and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah she hooks you up to all this crazy yeah. stuff. I imagine as a kid, this would be way more fun than mm-hmm. some of that would be. Uh, what about uh, the resilience? As I said today, I think this might be the highest resilience of 11,600 that I've ever gotten. What does that score tell you? Yeah, so the resilience is a metric and we can, you can go into in the app the explanation of them but basically how you it's kind of like the sum of the strength that you've added to your prefrontal cortex oh cool yeah cool cool I recently signed up for this subscription service called Quantum Upgrade, and it's been a major game changer for my energy EMF resilience and the overall feeling in our home Let me explain how it works. Quantum energy is the energy that supports all life in the universe. It's non-linear, non-local, and has an immense potential for health when it's harnessed and directed to you or into your living environment. Through many years of research and development, Quantum Upgrade created one of the world's most potent sources of usable quantum energy. So when you sign up for their service, Quantum Upgrade associates your home, car, phone, business, and even your pet with this energy. The energy you receive with the Quantum Upgrade is a high consciousness field that you can even customize on the fly. For example, I like to set different booster levels at specific times such as before a podcast recording or during sleep. It's pretty awesome. The Quantum Upgrade energy streaming service has already been studied and tested by independent institutes, doctors, and labs with phenomenal results in placebo-controlled double-blind studies. It's been shown to improve red and white blood cells and even reverse stages 1 and 2 of blood clotting in only a few minutes. 
You can try it right now risk-free with a 15-day free trial by visiting quantumupgrade.io. All you got to do is use the code LUKE15 to activate your free trial. Again, you'll find it at quantumupgrade.io. I've done some experiments with this, you know, try and just, I usually do it in the morning, so I switch up the morning routine to see what gives me the highest score. And uh, if I, I was doing this thing called the Lucia light back there, this hypnagogic kind of psychedelic light, and I put on this software called uh, NuCalm, which is a neuroacoustic software. It's really relaxing, drops you into theta. So I'd basically just be in drooling kind of psychedelic zone. And then I'd do my Mindy and I would get really low scores. I could imagine. I think I was just like, spaced out theta not activated and i was like okay that sucks so i'm not doing that i'm not doing it that way Mm -hmm. then i started going down to the biocharger and sitting in front of the biocharger (laughs) dude if you do the mendy in front of the biocharger it goes crazy you're brave i would not sit in front of the biocharger with that mendy on my head (laughs) it well brave (laughs) slash stupid you know depends how you look at but yeah it goes crazy but i don't feel like it's I've only done it a few times because I feel like, well, I'm totally cheating. You're hacking. My brain's yeah, getting completely. so much energy artificially yeah. Yeah. that the thing's just going. But then it's interesting because you can watch, you know, the biocharger it has these frequency sets, and you can watch, you know, it's on 1700, yeah. you know, kilohertz or whatever it is, right? And so you can watch it cycle through the sets, and I would watch my Mendy score, and it would be like biocharger's going, and my little ball's cranking up. And then the biocharger switches gears in a different frequency, and then it goes and just plummets. It's really trippy to watch. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I just didn't, I thought, well, am I really getting benefit because my brain's getting so much help? It's like um, you doing a military press, and I'm behind you. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, something like that. You're not, you're not getting if that much help. you're going to take the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. But, you know, I'm an experimenter and, and all that. that. So I did another experiment a couple yeah. months ago. Um, I was packing for an evening uh, plant medicine ceremony. And I was putting my minerals and my little, you know, survival kit mm-hmm. together. And I thought, ooh, I'm not going to promise this to myself, but if I remember and it's appropriate and it feels like it's okay to do within my own experience, I'm going to do a Mendy on medicine and see what happens. So it's like toward the end of the night and I uh, had already had kind of the peak experience, but was still definitely not able to drive a car or anything like that. I was just kind of going to rest, and at the end, I remembered it was in my bag, and I did one. I was like, I feel like my brain is so uh, on fire, you know, in the best sense, just <laughs> firing on all cylinders, right? And I'm like, oh, I bet this Mendy score is going to be super high. So I put it on and do the 15-minute session. Worst score ever. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what that means, you know, from a neurochemistry uh, point of view. And I was like, okay, note to self, the prefrontal cortex not activated uh, with those particular substances. Yeah, so that was, that was my one. But uh, that leads me to a question about neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a growing trend, which I think is largely positive, where people, um, it, even within the scientific community, are understanding that certain substances, like psilocybin, for example, can dramatically improve neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people on our team are experts in this and study them. Like oh, ben, really? ben Rain, for, for example, from Stanford, he does, you know, he'll do everything like research on, uh, what's it called, uh, on mice with MDMA, and they start behaving in a completely different way. They're like, I bet. They're so they nice start hugging each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, they it's, start it's, saying, I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder, as was the case this morning, and I, I don't know if this is the yeah. sole reason for this, but I got a, a really high scores and I had the, mm-hmm. that microdose that I described earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's any, and I'm not, you know, encouraging any illegal behavior, you know, do this stuff where it's legal kids. But let's say someone was microdosing LSD, DMT, mushrooms sure. or whatever, and, and you're encouraging that neuroplasticity and you're in that state, could there hypothetically be an added benefit of using the Mendy while your brain is very neuroplastic? Can I say it off the record? <laughs> yes, everything here, everything here is off. This is not medical advice. Yeah. Um, it makes sense to me. So that's what I can say. Uh, okay. Theoretically, that would make sense to me. But I have kind of a... It's going to piss some people off. I have kind of a controversial view of all these people trying to build neuroplasticity because what the fuck are you doing with it? When your brain is trying to create neuroplasticity, it does it in a very specific way. So you're building all of these new roads. And if you think of it like a subdivision with all of these roads, right? So, okay, you're microdosing and you have all of these new roads. That's not efficient at all. You want superhighways. Ideally, positive neuroplasticity, not negative neuroplasticity. So what I have observed in my friends, I have a lot of friends in L.A., they've been doing this for a long time, and I just, there's some things that don't speak to me to do, and this is something that I've just chosen to observe. And they're suddenly, like, having these different issues or perseverations or these things, and I'm like, you're creating this neuroplasticity, and you're not doing anything with it. And now it's actually less efficient because the brain goes through a building neuroplasticity and then pruning so then it creates those super highways is how it should go. So when someone's in my office and I'm trying to create positive neuroplasticity, I'm doing it in a very specific way to build these super highways. Right. It's not. Yes, exactly. It's not like willy nilly neuroplasticity is good. Let's just do this. Oh, that's interesting. Because then I observe people coming in and they're like, I'm having all of these vague things go on and you're actually reducing efficiency. Oh, this is interesting. So in the realm of microdosing and this is this is like mostly my observations over the years and my knowledge of neurology yeah well that i mean that's i haven't read a paper on it It, it's probably out there i hope it is but i haven't got had time to get to that yet i mean it fundamentally makes sense though right it 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 has to do with everything like with plant medicines and psychedelics Mm -hmm. and the integration it's like Mm -hmm. that's the key part of it if you're going to do it integrate (laughs) it do something with it so to answer your question theoretically if someone's going to microdose these are doing something with it. Right. Put them on, do something with it. I guess. I don't know. I probably I don't know if I can legally say that. <laughs> well, this I mean, this is a great point because this sure. is uh, this is why psychedelics can be so dangerous. Yes. And you know, I talk about them a lot on the yes. show and I I always do my best to give disclaimers, you know, it's not for everyone, be careful. They can have beautiful results, but... Right, but earlier in life, like you, you had your overdose on alcohol or tequila, coke, and LSD, which I'm sure I've had that combination for sure. (laughs) Many times. Just in OD. But I mean, thinking back in in my early years when I was, you know, a kid with unhealed trauma and was addicted to all these drugs and I was using psychedelics like candy i mean just no discrimination whatsoever and had so many bad trips i can't even count so i was traumatizing myself emotionally traumatizing my brain by creating all this neuroplasticity and then putting myself in really dangerous toxic situations i mean theoretically which is like what the definition of a bad trip right is like you think it's going to be one thing You didn't plan shit well, and now you're in yeah. a dark place yeah. because you're so sensitive and open to the to the energies. Yeah, You've added all powerful. this unnecessary complexity, yeah. I think. Yeah. 
That, that's that's, that's how I, I would understand it. I think the, the, the beauty of things being easy is that they're simple. So yes. the analogy of the highway makes sense to me, but a bunch of little dirt roads doesn't sound yeah. easy to me. So it's I not can, easy, it's not efficient, it's not what the brain wants, the brain wants efficiency. Wow, I'm so glad I asked that because that's going to be really useful for a lot of people that are just kind of, you know, following Mm -hmm. the trend. Oh, everyone's microdosing, it's good for your brain. Well, it depends what you're doing with your brain when it's in a plastic state. Totally. Shit. Yeah. So we should play an instrument, do a Mendy, (laughs) spend some quality time with someone. I don't know. Now I'm I'm thinking much more intentionally about it. Yeah. I think myself and many other people think about microdosing as like just another supplement, like a nootropic. It's like, oh, yeah, today I'll do some LSD, tomorrow I'll do some mushrooms, whatever. Because you do subjectively, at least in my experience, um, have access to more focus or creativity and you you have a better mood. You might not be anxious or depressed, but it's a really good point that you might be building grooves in ways that don't serve you. Well, it depends on the state of the person when they start, like you said, when you're younger versus now. When you've worked through stuff and you're doing it, that's different too. True, true, true. What do you see happening um, results-wise in your clinic with kids with autism and uh, issues like that using the Mendy and other modalities that you work with? So just in general, it's making life easier. Like things are just, and that's how it felt for me. Everything was just hard. I'm like, why is everything just so much harder? It feels harder for me, harder to focus, harder to you know, deal with the lights, the sounds, the, you know, whatever. So a lot of it, how I'll describe it to the parents or the kids if they're old enough, and I'm like, hey, there's nothing wrong with you, but what if we could make life a little easier? Not so hard. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good, right? Sounds good to everybody. So whatever modality I'm using, and Mendy is absolutely included in that, that's that's like kind of the perspective. And obviously I'm boiling that down to a very simple explanation to I'm looking at a super complicated picture of this person's brain. But like for autism patients, we see someone who it might be me, I have kids, you know, I come in and I'm just like a stressed out mom, but it also might be nonverbal tantrums all the time. You know, the really, really severe cases we see, we see all of that. And I'm, don't usually put the Mendy on those kids because <laughs> it's going to get checked across they the room. Have a break. <laughs> yes. Wow. And, and how has your life changed since you diagnosed yourself or were diagnosed with yeah. autism yeah. later in life? I know. So I did. Self diagnosis is completely acceptable within this, but because I'm in this field, I actually got two separate professional opinions because I didn't. I just didn't ever want someone being like, oh, that was your opinion, you know, anything like that. So I did have that done from two separate people. And really, it's allowed myself two things, more grace and not so hard on myself, because I tend to historically be very hard on myself. I go very much into my masculine, and I've really worked in the last few years to stay in my feminine. And when I'm being hard on myself, that's really, I'm just expecting myself to push harder, to work you know, in that masculine energy that it just causes burnout, especially in females. And I've done that repeatedly in my life. And I'm resilient as fuck, so I get up and go again, but that's not necessarily the ideal way to do it. So it's allowed myself more grace, and it's also created a different way of looking at myself because I know what to do, and I have the tools. That's, That's such a rare thing 
that now I'm like, oh, okay, I need to bring up my right va- uh, brain. I need to do some vagal stim. I need to do the Mendy work on my prefrontal cortex. And I know the things to do. So before I knew I was a left brain female, but I was like, eh, you know, whatever, not taking the time for it. So it's really allowed me the space to be like, this is, this actually is important. So I'd say those two things. Yeah. And that's so cool that you had the impetus to do that, to just fucking do it. I know. Right? Like what a huge change. I know. It really is. It's wild. Yeah. You could have lived your entire life not knowing that information. Yeah. still hitting up against. And I actually think I was, I was very, very close to my grandmother and I'm quite certain that she was autistic as well. We were very close, um, you know, from as young as I can remember, she's chasing me down with essential oils and smudging me and like all of these things. Really? That's where, where, I learned where did you from, In Wisconsin. Oh, I really? Wisconsin. She was in Wisconsin. She was like a Reiki master. She did really? all the things. Yeah. So this is funny. Um, I was young, so don't hold it against me, but I didn't know that Atlantis wasn't real until I was in middle school because she spoke of it. I mean, and I say real, like I obviously have my thoughts on it now, but I feel like she spoke of it as though it was another continent. (laughs) So like I was just in that world and it was such a blessing to be in that world because I can go so into the spiritual side and so into the scientific side and really relate to both and then bring it together with the brain because it all still comes back to the brain and a healthy brain. Wow. Yeah. Because I've sat in ceremony, I've sat with people who are very spiritual and they're just like perpetually lost because their brain is just not functioning the way it should. You have um, to work on that. Yeah. Thank God for new age granny. I know. <laughs> That's great. I know. I love that. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your clinic. Where can people find you? It's the Neuro Solution Center. Neuro Solution Center of Austin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're in Cedar Park. Okay, cool. Too far from and what's the website? We'll put it in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Mendy. Yeah. So you can click on it's um, neurosolutionatx.com, I think, but double okay. check the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll make sure and get the right one in there. Yes, make sure you do. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's an incredible team. Like I said before, it's not just me. I mean, it, it is literally everyone from the front desk to the techs that I work with. It completely makes the team and everyone who comes in can see that. Because it's a hard job, day in and day out. It's very emotional. Like, I mean, I saw patients for four hours before I came in here. And it's, I don't stop. It's four hours straight, a lunch break, and four hours straight again from patient to patient. Stop. And so it takes a team. But we also, this is the first office I've worked in where we take it seriously. If we can tell someone is, like, getting off, if I'm getting really aspy, (laughs) they're like, hey, work on yourself. And it's a beautiful environment to be in where someone will, you know, hand you a Mendy or hand you a Stimpod or grab a couple lasers. It's a really good environment to be in. And it's, you know, you walk the talk. Awesome. It's yeah. a great resource. I'm glad we met. Thanks for the intro, dude. Yeah. is a great <laughs> connector. You know, I think he and I Maybe. share that skill. So does Josh. Josh is the same way, you know, just... I, I, when I was I like, hey, man, can you bring someone kind of sciency, you know, to talk? Because I know <laughs> we'll just shoot the shit and just kind of, you know... Not get down to the nitty gritty because yeah. we're both like that. And he's like, I'm the perfect person. Yeah, it really worked out. I well. just met her. She's great. Yeah. I'm a bringer. So cool. Yeah. Uh, so you live Moha in Sweden most of the time. I mean, do you have I, like I, a? I've, I probably spent more time in Austin this year than anywhere else. I'm in LA now for a few weeks. Okay. I'm going to be in the U.S. a lot this year. I mean, where do you have a home? Sweden, Stockholm, okay. Sweden. Stockholm, yeah. Sweden. Okay. 
But I'm, I'm going to be a lot between, uh, I'm going to be in the U.S. a lot. I go, got some trips back and forth to Dubai, which is, has become a base okay. uh, as well. And, and do you have a residence in Costa Rica? Or do your parents still live there? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been in Costa Rica three, four times this year already. So Wow. And it's only July, so. Cool. I go there a lot. I'm jealous. We I'm need to do a trip once. together. We need to I'm only there together. once. We didn't want to leave. Allison had never been there, and she was like, we got to move here. I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, we just got to Austin. <laughs> yeah, she's a jungle girl. She's like, she's a jungle cat. Yeah. That's her book right there. Can't wait to meet her. Oh, is that? Oh, that's her, that's that looks her book. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's her power. The book's called Animal Power. That's, I love that. I'll get that. We're going to have to dig into that. That's yeah. what that one got got the cover yeah love so you're gonna be spending time uh, more in the states i here's my vote i recommend that you get a place in austin yeah yeah you have a little apartment man there's a lot going on here there's a lot of great people like me i, I, I josh trent all I of our austin. friends well I, i've got family here now i consider you guys family it's the second yeah. time i ever see you but you know you know how it's been since the first cool. day man cool i pulled you aside and i said i love your energy love <laughs> yeah we're gonna be friends man i want to hang out with you more yeah, you so thank you for having me yeah, it's been great. It's been great. No, I love I love that dinner. Like I said, because we all I don't know. It's like it was almost like a roundtable setup, you know, where like each person kind of had their lane, and we all got to share. And I find it fun when you're in a social situation. I mean, I love learning about other people. I'm very interested in people, which is why I sit and talk to them for a living. But it it's also fun sometimes to be able to express yourself and share you too you know so that that night was really fun because we all got a little time just to kind of like mm-hmm. sprinkle our magic uh at the table so it's real cool beautiful night all right you guys well i think we did it hot damn thank you so much for your time and energy today it's been really fun i feel like i feel like we could just keep talking i just want to hang yeah, out shit, could. but for the benefit of the listener we will we will shut this one down and keep and talking off camera <laughs> <laughs>